boomers, welcome to Sonic the Comic, the podcast, your fortnightly guide to the world of Sega and Sonic and living in the 90s and Sonic the Comic. We are the humans who think we're in charge. I'm Dave Bulmer. I am Chris McFeely, the birthday boy, recording a podcast yeah. for you on his birthday because it's too bloody hot to go anywhere oh. or do anything. Oh my god. We both have I... the windows open. If you yep. hear passing cars, tough, we don't all care. right, your audio experience will be diminished. It's too <laughs> bloody warm yeah. out. This is issue number 59 of Sonic the Comic. <laughs> yeah, we've got Tails teams up with, question mark, C under. Which yeah, will be oh, I love this, right? Many. That confirms to us, like, previous <laughs> wonderings about the placement of free gifts and whether yeah. it was supposed to be a sort of interactive experience. Mm. For this issue comes with some free transfers. It yes. says right across the top there, free exclusive transfers, free. And our cover is a Carl Flint cover. We got Tails reaching forward, reaching out. Towards yep. the audience. Filling most of the page. Filling most of the page. To his right, our left, bottom left corner of the thing, the sheet of tattoos covers up who he's teaming up with. And if we lift yes. those tattoos... Yep, there is a little picture of Knuckles. And he is punching his fist forward. And on his fist is written the phrase, Transfers missing? Alert your newsagent! Interactive! Isn't it? Art and, yeah. and media all working in a punchy partner revealed. I, those always make me feel happy because, of course, you know, I know them from the old ZX Spectrum days when you'd have a Spectrum magazine. You'd get the cassette, the free cassette off the front that came with demos, and it would say under it, you know, cassette missing, alert your news agent now. Yeah. But yeah, it also says punchy partner revealed, which presumably would also have been under the transfers. By the way, you'd have been able to see through the transfers who it is. Uh, transfers are mostly quite see-through. Well, yeah, but they've got that sheet of greaseproof backing paper on there. Still. You, you might not have immediately been able to spot Oh, the days of transfers on comic. Oh, I just oh, I just had a wave of it, Chris. I just had. I tell you what, I just remembered the day I was in W. H. Smith and I saw the monster in my pocket comic, which was very expensive. It was all of I don't know, maybe a pound, maybe two pounds. It felt like a ludicrous amount of money. Now this is something separate from the monster wrestler in my pocket comic we talked about yes. before, right? I don't remember a monster in my pocket comic. This well, no, you won't do because nobody bought it because it was so expensive. And the reason was it came with a monster in my pocket on it oh, every wow. time. Yeah, I remember it was the Chimera was the one that I saw in Smiths, and I oh, I coveted that, but also. There was. I knew there was no... It was the equivalent of, like, asking your mum for a, a video out of nowhere yeah. without Fire saving up any pocket money or something. Yeah. Absolutely no way is that going to fly. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so we've got the exclusive transfers. We've got Double Sonic. It says, Brotherhood of Metallics, Seven Badniks, New Stories. Now, we know that's a Sonic's World strip already. Yes. And we read, what was it, Face from the Past a little while ago, the last Sonic's World strip. We realized it was really a metamorphia strip. Mm. But in our heads, it was just another Sonic strip. I talked about how I sort of marked that in my head as the point where Sonic's world started to steer away from being like a story about the adventures of the other people on Mobius into just being a second Sonic strip. Yeah. But really, that wasn't as true as I thought it was. But here it's just being advertised to me as double Sonic. So is it any wonder I started to think of Sonic's yeah. world as. As Double that. Sonic. Double Sonic, and, yeah. And I'm having to go back and just check. Is Sonic in it? Oh, briefly. He's, he's on in the, the first, first page. page. Yeah, but yeah. otherwise, okay. no, yeah. Hmm. Odd. Speaking of Sonic, we do see now how uh, the new redesigned comic is replacing the old little box that had oh, the, yeah. the, the vector art winky Sonic face. 
before it always used to be that if Sonic was not on the cover, it would always have a little picture of him saying, starring Sonic the Hedgehog under the logo. But here now it goes in the sort of uh, corner box, the UK's official Sega comic, starring Sonic the Hedgehog. And it is it is the same old um, winky uh, vector art, clip art piece of Sonic art, but they, they've, they've airbrushed some effects on there now. They have. They've shaded it. Put it looks positively three-dimensional. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, reminiscent of those, you know, Fantastic Four and all of their faces yeah. inset in the little ribbon. The old classic thing, yeah. Except it's in a big, what looks like a sort of coin. Well, no, what it looks like is a is a, a kini. It looks like a pog slammer. <laughs> okay, I was just going to say a circle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks like a branded circle. TM. Like an MGM lion poking its head out there. I think it's because it has, you know, sheen on it itself. It's got lighting effects on it. Yeah. On there it looks like it's got that, that foil stamping that you used to get on the slammers. It looks like the, the edge is slightly raised compared to the middle. It looks like a watch. Yeah, but I think that's the effect of that part because you've got the box saying UK's official Sega comic fortnightly behind it stretching off in both directions as if it were a strap. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's what we've got. And that's the 1st of September 1995, but as we know, that's when it goes off the shelves. You want to go two weeks back. Released on August the 18th. Summer creeping towards its end. Oh, yeah. Although not in this house, it isn't. Luminel, no. (laughs) Control Zone. Still getting used to the new look. Loving it, though. Yeah. I'm sort of indifferent to it. I love the new Mega Droid, I must say. I'm glad, because you were very unsure going in whether you would enjoy him. But But I really like... He just looks so cool. He looks... I'll tell you what he looks, and I guess this is probably because of him... But he is 1995, as far as I'm concerned. He has everything 1995 had. Something about the reds and blues. Something about the fact that he seems to be wearing a slightly stripy t-shirt of some sort. Like, yes, the shades. Got that Jordi LaForge visor. Yeah, it's a bit more... Yeah, there's something about... I don't know, man. This just looks like 1995 this to me. Megadroid's cool older brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I must say, I think I prefer to read a column compared to a big wide box because it's spread out. I kind of do a little bit, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure why. I think they put more words in the columns and there's something about this redesign that allows them now to skimp on the content in the control zone. I mean, it's not technically true because there are still two, you know, little feature boxes next to the charts here on the control zone. we got Megadroid's intro and then the little other, which in this case is, well, we've seen them before. It's just directions on how to apply your transfers. See this bit here in Megadroid's opening? Welcome to another issue of STC where things continue to get seriously cool. Cool. On the free gift front. Right. Cool. That was a thing we said. Chris, I have to show you this. Okay, please do. For the listeners at home, this is my 1995 diary. Yes. 24th of July, 1995. Mm-hmm. So when this issue is out. And well, no, no, because this issue is out in August, doesn't it? Okay, it is. Well, it doesn't matter because it's relevant to this. So, so the, no, it does. It does because it means this issue isn't out yet. Oh, okay. So okay, I am right. so you're not, not copying Megadroid. There is an elongated Q-E-L. Dash E-L. Written exactly the way it is in this episode. Where did that come from then? Because that was something we said. That was how we said it and wrote it and enunciated it. Cool. I feel as if we. We've discussed this before because I said how I embarrassingly would sometimes say QUL as in Gathering Winter Fuel from Good <laughs> King Wenceslas, and uh, that never quite worked, and I always regretted saying it. I'd love to know where that comes from, but I, I, 
I don't know if there even is any one singular source we could point to. It's written here, C-O-O-E-L. But you wrote in your diary with two or three lines of O's there. Yeah. It wasn't just a way of saying cool. It was a way of saying cool. Yeah. That is a true mystery, I think, but it's emblematic of the age, but... What can you even say about it? <laughs> uh, it? It must have just been from stuff like this, comics and this, Buster, whatever else. It must have been. Gotta have been a British thing, though. Oh, yeah, come on. It sounds British as hell, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds the way you accuse me of sounding when I said, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can get in SCC 60, you can get a free pack of champions trading cards. That'd be cool. I thought it was Eternal Champions, but it's not. It's it's something else entirely, yeah. Also, Dolphin is coming next issue. There's another strip of Dolphin coming back. Echo the Dolphin. (laughs) What did you call him Dolphin for? Because it says Champions Trading Cards. It must be Eternal Champions. They must. (laughs) Surely. They must have just not known what Eternal Champions... Whoever, whichever editor wrote that. No, no. I'm willing to believe this is something else entirely, honestly. Oh, you think it's a different thing? It is actually a separate thing. I think it is. I think it's something else, yeah. This is 1995 now. Nobody gives a toss about Eternal Champions anymore. I never even thought of that. I thought, because it's STC, it must be Eternal Champions. So what other champions are there? I don't know. Could just be a brand name. Could just be some kind of trading card collection thing. You know, it might not be anything we'd actually recognize. We will dig into it and find out for you next issue if we can. Then down below, as I said before, the transfer zone is just, again, it's the directions on how to apply your transfers. STC presents its exclusive, not available in the shops, terrific transfers designed to enhance your boomer bedrooms, school bags, folders, and even your own drawings. It's up to you to position them in the best possible places. I mean, you took that first one very literally, you put them directly on your bed. That's right. Yep. That's right. They're still there today. I have no... Me- I wish that I had done something memorable with these like you did mm. with your bed mm. and you had them there forevermore, but mm. I've no idea where these wound up for me. Well, if they didn't go on your bedroom, then they can only have gone on your school bag folder or even own drawings. On a school bag? What's he imagining when he's talking about putting a transfer I, on a school bag? It wouldn't have survived at all. I, it wouldn't even have survived the transfer to the bag. Yeah, well, it depends what the school bag was made of. Uh, I mean, I don't uh, know. I, now I'm imagining some kind of... British private school little leather briefcase fold-over flat-type <laughs> satchel. No, but 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 fair enough. If it was rather than the sort of cloth weave type of bag yeah. and more the kind of like rubber coating kind of bag, that would have probably worked. Oh, I know. Um, the circular end of one of those sports bag type school bags. You know, those there was always a couple of kids yeah, in your class around one of them. Yes. That might have worked, but... Uh, that, those are the sporty kids. They weren't reading STC anyway. Exactly. So let's look at these transfers anyway, because, yeah, again, mm. it's a set of... Uh, pieces of bespoke art. Now, yes. we don't have the transfers, sadly, but we had to do no. a bit of detective work to figure out exactly which of the various loose sheets and misapplied collections are online. But we think we've sussed it out, because these, because basically, I recognise these, and this is the last time they did transfers that I would have got it, so... <laughs> no. uh, what have we got? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 separate little Not transfers bad. squeezed onto this little sheet. Yeah, they've really made use of the space. Yeah. We've got a Sonic running... Mm-hmm. We've got a Sonic flexing his muscles. Yes. We've weird. got a Tails in flight. Yep. We've got an Amy uh, with her bow, which is the image in the Control Zone page here. Longbow. Uh, yes, Longbow again, yes. Although, mm, I can't make any more definitive statements, but I feel like that could be the end of the Longbow now. Yeah. Just because Elson's doing the strip because, on the face and yeah, page, I feel exactly. like it could be in it. 
We got uh, Knuckles coming forward. Uh, we saw that piece of art. Uh, that was one of the that was one of the gold ones. Silver tattoos, wasn't it? Yeah, coming forward with a with it. We got the Cybernick. That's how you yep. know this is an STC. Besp- well, other than Amy with her bow, but we got the Cybernick on here, shooting yeah. forward, reaching out, Robotnik. With the arms up, arms up, yeah. <laughs> That's the default pose. That's then how you be angry. And then a couple, yeah, a couple of more random ones. There's a star yeah. post. Makes sense to me. Well, uh, kind of an off-model star post. Yes, it is. To, it's but, it's yeah. more like a stool with a star post coming out mm. on top of it. A ring. One of those little egg cameras from yep. issue nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the little flying eggs with with camera lenses. I in it. am a big fan of when they do transfers and tattoos and things of background detail yeah, yeah. i this, love this that. way you can make a scene with them you know they are action pieces did you know what uh, you're right that ain't what i even thought of but you're right now the reason i love them is purely because i had a set of um of turtles transfers when i was very little and this was the first time i you know let's see if i can get these onto a skirting board i can <laughs> and they came with you know a baby turtle from before they mutated. A canister of ooze. Stuff like that. That's like kind of background details. So, I, yeah, I've always enjoyed that sort of thing. But you've left the best till last. And you've done it deliberately. Is it Mobius itself? It's got to be Mobius itself. I've always loved this. Yeah, it's a purple planet with a checkerboard ring around it. Yeah, it's a orange and yellow checkerboard ring. So mm. kind of aiming for... Green Hill Zone colours, but landing more on Control Zone colours. You know, it's STC colours, as it were. And then the planet itself is purple, and it's like, it's covered in, not exactly cracks, but like, imagine if the planet was made out of loads of little plates. It's like Hmm. it's, and there's gaps between some of them, like a, like a, like what? What it feels like something, but I don't know what. I tell you what it feels like. It feels like that um, that Sonic and Tails um, Rubik's ball thing that we've already <laughs> seen. But it's yeah, it, it's a weirdly designed planet. There's definitely no way that the stuff we think of as Mobius could be on it. So no, I mean, we've seen Mobius from space, and it doesn't look like that. Yes. That's why the, where you would wonder where this piece of art even came from. Okay, I've got two theories. Number mm. one. It, it's not Mobius, it's something from the special zone, and it's it appeared once at some point, mm. right? Number two, somebody went, oh, make a weird planet, and that'll be Sonic's planet. And whoever was on the computer that day did that. <laughs> and this is what they came up with. Quite plausible. <laughs> <laughs> the Charts. Do we have to talk about how grim Messina is over in the charts again? Because it's just sport topped. Brian Lara Cricket, Rugby World Cup, Ugh. Theme Park is in there so for a bit of difference. FIFA Soccer 95, Non-Mover at 4, PGA Tour Golf 3. But then, the new God. entries into the charts at 6, 7, 8, Ooh. and 9. 4, a run of 4. Fever Pitch Soccer, Ooh. Street Racer, Roger. NHLPA Hockey 1995, and NBA Live 95. Is it any wonder no. the Mega Drive was on the way out? Uh, and let's go a little bit further down into the Mega CD chart. What's re-entering at number seven but Star Wars chess? Oh, God. What <laughs> <laughs> about Star Wars chess? BC Racers coming in at number ten. Yep. I wonder... No, I'm curious, like, I didn't look up when it was released, because we heard about that game a long time ago. Yes, I suppose we did. In the news zone. A year ago and more. Mm. I wonder if it's only just out now, or if it's a new entry into the top ten. So, yeah, there we go. I mean, look, we're not just looking at the decline of the Mega Drive. Like, we're looking at the decline of Sega. The Saturn? the Including the Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast, but it failed. 
My honest is true. This is a sad thing to be looking at. But it's not because they're sports games. Because no. you remember when I looked up the top selling games of 1994 last year and they were just all sports games. Anyway. Of course they were. And that was partly because at this time the video game industry, thanks to the Mega Drive, had swiveled. Had swiveled? Is that a good word? Uh, pivoted. To pivoted is the word I was looking for. <laughs> had pivoted <laughs> to aim squarely at sport boys. That was sport the audience. Boys. Sport boys. They they were the guys that uh, Sega and then PlayStation were kind of aiming at. And that sort of transitioned easily into, um, you know, misogynists and the violent. So... Uh, <laughs> yes, well, I mean, that, that, if that did not define the advertising of late 1990s video game consoles and games, uh, well, yeah. Just before we move off the control zone, one thing I realised we failed to flag up last issue when we were talking about the redesign was uh -huh. that we just said it was the same designer as ever. But of course, that's not true at all. Because, it, yes, it is still Gary Knight. But remember, Claire Gilmore was the designer on the comic up until issue 26. <gasps> oh, you're right! Yeah. Gary Knight came in and kind of hasn't well, Tim, Tim made his own layout. Claire Gilmore was on it up to 26. Then yeah. Tim Reed came in on issue 27. Then issue right? 28 was designed by both Gary Knight and Tim Reed. And then it's been Gary Knight ever since 29 up until... So this is really... Gary Knight getting to put his stamp on it and creating his design for it instead of just carrying on Claire Gilmore's design. Oh, that's interesting. And it, and it does say here, designers Gary Knight and Tim Reed. Yes, and Tim Reed. Tim Reed has popped back in for some reason. I've looked over it. I can't see any, like, point of commonality between this and the previous issues he designed, so I'm not sure where it comes from, unless, unless he maybe had something to do with the transfers. I don't know. <laughs> The Brotherhood of Metallics, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Ellie DeVille. The Freedom Fighters track a new badnik signal to the Metropolis Zone, where they're confronted by the bubble-blowing... Mr. Blobnik. The stupid-looking robot lulls Sonic into a false sense of security, and our hero ends up being captured in a bubble and brought before Dr. Robotnik. But Robotnik surprises Sonic by asking for his help, because the Brotherhood of Metallics have captured Grimer as part of a plan to acquire the power of the Miracle Planet for their own evil ends. Yes! Oh, I love this! Oh, I love this. Yes. Uh, this was... Uh, like, we knew we were going into it. Last issue told us Brotherhood uh, of Metallics, but... No, but seeing it there... I feel like this was when it became apparent back in the day that we were in the middle of something, you know? Yeah. We had gone right out of the back end of the Sonic and Knuckles adaptation into Total Chaotix over in Knuckles' strip, which then fed straight back into this again. Yeah. There's no, There's no waiting... There's no pausing. There's yeah. no nothing. It's just yeah. hit after hit, one after the other. And, and you know, Kitching and Elson were back together on the Sonic strip for the first time since then, having been working together on the Knuckles strip yes. uh, yeah. in the interim. It's not even an interim. You know, they, they were they were never not working together. Yeah. It's just it wasn't on the strip with Sonic at the top of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just to see that name there, the Brotherhood of... Sonic the Hedgehog, the Brotherhood of Metallics, part one. Even though... You know, as far as I'm concerned, we've just had 
the Brotherhood of Metallics Part One, really. Yeah, to Brotherhood see of it, Metallics Part Zero. Yeah, and you know exactly that's what this means to see that name there. You're like, oh, I've been reading the prequel to something. Yeah, but then we have to remember, like as we pointed out last issue, they didn't yeah. ever actually say they were the Brotherhood of Metallics until the last speech bubble of the mm. last page of the last part of yeah. the Knuckles story. Yeah, so it just feeds right boomf, off that into oh. this. Oh, this is so cool. This is really cool. I mean, and the fact that... <laughs> so you have the first page where what they're doing is Porker is putting a, a a security field over the caravan and the plane so that we don't have to worry about them anymore. Like, nobody, we don't ever have to ask ourselves, what's going on with that caravan? Is it safe? Where is it? When they're not in it, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Porker look happy? He looks don't so you, happy. Don't you, don't you like it when Porker's happy? Doesn't it give you yes. a little a little smile yourself to see him just be happy in his work? It's working with the security fields, working, it's all good. Things are going Porker's way for once. By the way, um, Johanna's asked me to watch out for any time in STC, because I can't remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, I can't mm-hmm. remember a time in STC when Sonic has eaten a chili dog or a hot dog. Well, way back at the very start, in some of those very earliest Mark Miller ones, he definitely had some hot dogs. Did he eat hot dogs? Well, there we yeah. go. This is this is what we need to report. Because the thing is, he is friends with a pig, and that is very rude. Don't, like, they're, ah, oh God. Now I'm just thinking back to Sonic the Summer Special. What happened in Sonic the Summer Special? This past year's holiday special, where we got that fact file of Sonic that said he ate fast food bean burgers. Oh! Maybe they are, like, vegetarian oh! chili dogs. Oh! We were so confused by that, but now it becomes clear. Well, no, I mean, no, I still hate it. <laughs> but, but, and I don't think it was intentional. But now I'm thinking I have to give some level of credence to it. <laughs> Where does the meat come from on an all-animal planet? Exactly. Well, this is now what I said to Johan is, we have seen him eating a lot of burgers and he doesn't seem to have any cowmates. <laughs> and Johan said, well, no, not anymore. <laughs> I suppose I can't swear it was hot dogs back at the very start. I'm sure this is it. it must happen at some point. This is it. This is the question. But anyway. Keep an eye out for that. So Pork is looking delighted as he presses his button. Johnny's not. What's what's oh, Johnny what? doing? Like, no, that's listen, right? Okay, that's Johnny. This whole thing. Look at yeah. him. Flip through and look at him on every page. Like we flip right. So yeah. just hang on, Jumbo. Right. So we get a little reintroduction to the Kintabor computer, which is nice because we were just commenting yes. recently, weren't we? We haven't seen it in absolutely ages. So we get some very pointed dialogue explaining that he's yeah. now in a little portable and everything, which we've seen once, I think. I, Back I at think the start so. of the year in the Badniks Bridge story, I think, was the one time we've seen it. I certainly know that on one of our recent Patreon videos, I've been like, wasn't Kintabor in a case at some point? And, and here it is in the case. Yes, here it is. And I, I, I presume we'll see it a bit more going forward. But yeah, it, this does really read like a little, yeah, remember this guy? I, kn- I genuinely know it's been a long time since mm. we've had him in here. So that's like I like things like that. I like touches yeah. like that. But so we turn the page anyway, and it turns out this deadly new badnik that they've tracked down is Mister Blobnik. Okay, look. Okay, look. Okay, we look. do have to turn the page to find that out. Oh yes, yes. We build to a little page turn cliffhanger dramatic point. Yes. Sonic goes like, "Keep watching. There's no telling what kind of deadly badnik robotniks come up with." And then Sonic like turns around, having seen something, but he's looking into the camera and goes, "This time," and I didn't remember chris oh i remembered i, and I was i've been swear waiting i want to hear i've been waiting to i hear was you. expecting to turn the page and see a swarm of metallics abby was asleep having a it's too hot nap <laughs> when i was reading this i had to hold my laughter in so hard i nearly lost an eye when you turn the page 
the stupidest possible thing that Rich could draw. Yes, it's Mr. Blobby on the one hand. On the other hand, it's not. That's the big thing. It's it's Mr. Blobby the Badnik. Yeah. The, like, his name is Mr. Blobnik. It's yeah. written on a bib on a bib. neck. <laughs> um, I mean, no, we've definitely talked about Mr. Blobby on the show before, yes. right? Must, must have. But just give the international folks at home some context, there, dude. All right, listen, guys. Sit down and listen. There used to be a program on Saturday evenings called Noel's House Party in which television presenter Noel Edmonds did things live and it was a show where there was various variety things, right? Yeah. I reckon if you wanted to understand this era of UK pop culture that we talk about on this podcast, apart from listening to this podcast, you could do a lot worse than by watching full episodes of Noel's House Party. than the villagers are already tramping on. What a week. Oh, phew, has it been a busy week. I mean, I've done a lock conversion here. I, I've converted it into an attic. And then I... I, I, spent, I spent a lot of the week visiting the sick. I did. And I visited the... Yes, oh, yes. I visited the crinkly bottom pawnbroker who's been very, very ill. He's, he's had mumps. But the good news is the doctor says he'll make a complete recovery, although his sign's going to have to come down. And then... <laughs> I was, uh, was actually subjected to the most terribly embarrassing thing this afternoon at the Crinkly Bottom Racecourse. I mean, this was so embarrassing because the stewards, the stewards disqualified my horse, Serengeti Boy. They, did. they said it was a giraffe I painted brown. <laughs> I mean, he might not be a great racer, but he's fantastic in a photo finish, I tell you. <laughs> and who's going to get the surprise prize? The prize for the person who gets the biggest surprise this week. Could it be you on NTV? The shock of a gotcha for John Pertwee. Or is it going to be me that gets the surprise? <laughs> Maybe it's the parents of Brendan in Wait Till I Get You Home. Nice guy, Brendan. I said to him, your dad ever do anything naughty when he was a little boy? He used to throw stones at you know, old ladies. Investments. He doesn't do it anymore. It's too busy working. Controversial news. you can do for right? <laughs> Crinkly Bottom Wanderers have sacked their striker Jigsaw Jessup. He's called Jigsaw because he keeps falling to pieces in the box. <laughs> Good news! Yay! Crinkly Bottom Magistrates have decided to give the village shoplifter a second chance. They said they were very impressed. No, 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 they said they... <laughs> Wrong reaction. They said... They said they were very impressed with the way in which he's been managing to help himself. <laughs> He had something called the Gotcha Oscar. This was a thing that had been going on for several years, wherein he would trick a celebrity and it would all be filmed. So the celebrity would have to do something silly, and then the punchline would always be that the, the guy who'd been winding them up the whole time, you know, whoever it was behind the desk who was being bureaucratic at them, or whatever it was, was Noel Edmonds in a disguise, and then the, it was famous enough that any celebrity they did this to would be like, ah, because they'd know exactly what a Gotcha Oscar was. He would hand over a Gotcha Oscar to them. They had been gotcha right? Arguably the best one of these that they came up with was 
What if we fooled these celebrities into thinking that they are doing a children's TV show? So they'll be eager to do it. They will behave. They'll be on their best behavior. They'll want to look good doing it. They'll put up with a bit of unusual stuff. And they came up with the character of Mr. Blobby. And the point of him was that under no circumstances ever could you ever dream that this character would ever become popular with children. That was the point of Mr. Blobby. It was a grotesque, horrible thing with these disgusting eyes bobbling about off it. A voice like this, Blobby, Blobby, Blobby. And he would flail around, and because the guy in the costume couldn't see, he would be smacking into the scenery and it would all fall down. And whichever footballer or hapless ballet dancer or whatever it was that was having to put up with this and teach children their profession would just go through it until they couldn't bear anymore and then he would take his head off and it was Noel Edmonds in there. Mr. Blobby, unfortunately, <laughs> for everyone involved, not least of all Noel Edmonds, this became so popular that he became genuinely a children's property for years and years and years to the extent that it wasn't even on Noel's house party anymore. He was on, like, Saturday morning kids' TV. He was He had, like, tapes, videos, computer games, the, the hit single. He was really popular. <laughs> I feel like there was an awareness of... Yes. The fact that he wasn't really yes. a, a kid, you know, he was, he was, listen, I don't know what the equivalent, what that equivalent of being like the sort of person who just shows up on variety and talking head mm. shows is, you know, there are some celebrities yes. who are just that, who just yeah. show up on things who are famous for being famous. Yeah. Well, he was that. Yeah. But a shrieking blamange man. Yeah. Yeah. He was a sort of like. In a way, you could describe as a punk upheaval of popular culture by going like, yeah, we've created this awful thing and it's become and it's, popular. And it has become aware. <laughs> well, run, run. The thing is that Noel Edmonds, like, became quite resentful of this because it was just definitely more popular than he was. And, re I mean, look, he made bank off it, so he didn't have any problem. And then it all collapsed suddenly at the same time when it got so popular that like two separate Mr. Blobby based theme parks opened in the UK. Oh, I didn't know that. At basically the same time. Yeah, and the UK only has room for so many theme parks, right? <laughs> and two of them, editor's note, three of them were based on Mr. Blobby. Come and see us at Crinkley Bottom at Cricket St. Thomas near Chard in Somerset. It's Britain's first TV theme park. Visit Mr. Blobby's house. See the wonderful wildlife parkland. Enjoy family fun in Blobbyland. Crinkley Bottom is 20 minutes from Junction 25 on the M5 and 10 minutes from the A303. And there was, I always thought that it was, one was called Blobbyland, which I didn't go to, and one was called Crinkley Bottom, which, which I did go to. the name of like Noel Edmonds's house or his estate as presented in the fiction of the house party program. Yes, because it was set in this mansion, welcome to my mansion, we're going to do stuff, and Crinkley Bottom was the fictional, I think, village that it, the estate was in. Uh, well, I've since found out that they were both called Crinkley Bottom, and the people who call it Blobbyland are simply wrong. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they opened, they failed so miserably that they nearly bankrupted a county. Oof. True story. And uh, that was it. And they, at last count, they still stand today in ruins and people... Oh, wow. Oh, I'm going to go and find some YouTube videos of that. Later. There are YouTube videos of people walking around the wreckage of Mr. Blobby's house, looking at his baby in its little crib oh i'm gonna go and look that up. overflowing with rot and greenery and vegetation 
Editor's note, it doesn't still stand. It was demolished in 2014, probably because people were going and looking at it and it was a safety issue because it was old and rotting, but ostensibly because it was being used as the site for illegal raves. Ah, which I hope is true, and I hope they played the Mr. Blobby single at them. <laughs> I feel like people do... St- I mean, well, obviously, people in the UK still know what Mr. Blobby is. It's yeah. seared into our national yes. consciousness. I think that younger people and people from other countries do sort of know what he is because yeah. I feel like he achieved slightly mimetic status after that bit where he showed up on the um, uh, the great big quiz of the year a few years back. That's and it. Terrorized exactly. Jack Whitehall. Exactly. I hated Mr. Blobby when I was like he terrified me more than anything else. Like he looked like a fat jaundiced baby. Like, like anyone would find that amusing. It was horrible. Teletubbies. I used to have night. Yeah, Teletubbies. They're joyous things. Blobby is evil. We're honoured to have one of the decade's most iconic stars. Please welcome, apologies, Jack, Mr. Blobby. Oh. <laughs> Genuinely distressing. Um, oh. Oh. Just don't do that. Oh. Oh. How what the f- are you allowed near kids? <laughs> Do the question. (laughs) Please, can he leave? By the way, I mean, the height of current Mr. Blobby is the Twitter account Worst Blobby, which I recommend everybody go and look at. It's brilliant. All of which is to say, (laughs) this tremendously dates this issue of STC (laughs) in a way that I don't know any content of any strip in STC has dated it to Mm. a specific time before. And in a way that you don't generally think of Kitching doing. You tend to find the pop culture references being more of a stringer thing. Or a Mark Miller thing. This is like Oh yeah, Mark Miller's little references to Eldorado and take that and stuff, yeah. This is the most dated reference since Eldorado in STC, that's what I'll say, yeah. And doesn't it feel like a little little bit of the past we're, we're having a mr blobby reference the way we used to have eldorado references right at the start of the podcast remember that listeners and eldorado was just a line in a speech bubble it didn't matter but yeah. here mr blob nick is the plot of <laughs> <laughs> the whole episode i was sure that he would be roundly defeated in one page and then something else would happen but no he, he lingers and to be fair it's not that he is just like Mr. Blobby, but a robot. No. You know, he's got an umbrella and a bubble-blowing pipe. This is the thing. He's not even just sufficiently different from Mr. Blobby as to not raise any copyright strikes, as it were. Yeah. It's- you could call him something else, mm. and it would be okay. Yeah, he's completely different. Really, it's only the colour scheme, the fact that there's pink and yellow on him, that makes him Mr. Blobby at all, and his name. And his name being Mr. Blobnik, yes. But he's got green all over him, he's got big ears, he's got antennae. He's got the googly-wobbly eyes, clearly, that are never looking yeah. in the same direction That's a once. Mr. Blobby thing, I never thought of yeah. that, yeah, you're right. But anyway, so we've got that. And now, back to my point about Johnny that I started to make. Right, yeah. Ago, which was that, that little worried expression Johnny's sporting in the first panel. Mm-hmm. He's got it throughout yeah. the whole comic. It like, never goes Amy away. is trying to fight the laughs down at yep. the state of this little rubbish badnik. Yep. And Johnny's all like, oh, um, um, oh yeah. um, in the background. And I'm like, he really is the oldest boy in a British kids' adventure novel, isn't he? Like, you once compared him to that, and I was like, he is the oldest Pevensey boy, isn't he? <laughs> He's just... I, I'm, 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 stop, Johnny, you suck sometimes. <laughs> Crack a smile, for God's sake. 
I've got the script for this one, and I was just thinking, like, is there a, a reason for this? Is it like, oh, uh, Rich, draw him like this because this is going to happen? No. Th- nope, that's... Richard Elson has come up with that. While we're here, by the way, here's the description for Mr. Blobnik, which has a very important piece of information in it that I think you'd be interested to hear. Page two, panel one, big picture of the badnik. It is the dumbest looking badnik we have ever seen. <clears throat> Since this was your idea, Richard. Oh. You may have a visual in mind, but if not, you might consider my idea. This is a parody of the fine Noel Edmonds creation, Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a sign around his neck reading Mr. Blobnik. Richard's turned that into a bib. Brilliant. Mm. Other images I have in mind are those awful, cute costume people you occasionally see hosting children's TV programs, crossed with a French clown or mime artist. So anyway, he's ridiculous. Sonic starts laying into him, but he's like, hey, hey, whoa, keep still. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine it, right? Then we cut back to Citadel Robotnik. Right. Where Robotnik and Grimer are monitoring the situation. Robotnik, this ridiculous Mr. Blobnik had better work, Grimer. And it turns out you know, Mr. Blobnik is a Grimer creation. Yes. <laughs> but just as he's uh, twiddling, I, I love this shot of him twiddling his control yeah. knobs, don't you? Yeah. He's kind reaching of reaching up back behind up him. over his head and twiddling a little knob. Pin- pinching one, the furthest behind he can, with like his hand <laughs> yeah. right back. He's pinching and twiddling it. <laughs> But then into the midst of the lab, the evil pink omniviewer from last issue appears. Yes. A metallic steps through, grabs Grimer, and hoiks him back through. Grimer, the Brotherhood of Metallics have need of you. Master, help me! Right. Is what Robotnik now says an acknowledgement of questions we've had? I think so, yes. We like we we haven't really known what the deal with the Metallics are, what what they were doing in the Egg Fortress, what the point of them was. What the point of that was. So Robotnik explains here, musing aloud to himself, the Metallics project is meant to be busy developing a badnik version of Sonic. If they are no longer under my control, they might be capable of anything. Chris, did Nigel just fix the continuity here? I don't know that the continuity was broken. I don't think that... Yes, you do, because we've both complained about it. Did we? What Robotnik says in this panel is, What's going on? The Metallics project is meant to be busy developing a badnik version of Sonic. He doesn't say, Another Metallics. Because Metallics never existed, Chris. He was erased from history. And we've wondered, and I've said out loud, Does Robotnik remember he ever made it? This panel implies to me that he doesn't. No, he he knows what they are. He comes out and he calls him Metallic Stop, I command you, I am your master. Yeah, he, kn- because, he knows what they are. Uh, because, as we hear in the next panel, the, the Metallics project is meant to be busy developing a badnik version of Sonic. It's like he's ordered one be made. Uh, no, no, I interpret, I, mean? that, I interpret that as being uh, the, the Emperor and the, the other Metallics as being working on developing more advanced badnik versions of Sonic. Could be. Rather than they have spontaneously spawned... They've, the the Metallics have been built outside... Because he sent Mechasonic, Super Metallics... To steal the Master Emerald back here in the Sonic and Knuckles adaptation. He knew about that. You're absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a shame! Because that really that if that had been that, because it is readable as like, oh yeah. weird, I was making a robot Sonic called Metallics, and that looked like it. If that had been that, that would have solved the whole problem that we had with Metallics being erased from history, and yet everyone kicking about as if they know what it is. Well, I mean, no, because the Super Metallics the and Super new Metallics. Sonic had also destroyed the previous Metallics as well. 
And of course, I could have allowed the, the, for we that. We are literally about no. Well, no. Next scene, Grimer is taken back to the the Egg Fortress, yeah. and he's like, "This is meant to be an automated factory designed to produce the ultimate Metal Sonic." What happens? So the idea that you know there are Metal Sonics, but they're trying to make the ultimate Metal Sonic. Do you know what? I think you're right. But when I read that, I was like, "We're trying to make an ultimate Metal Sonic." Like that still was fine. But then I realised the next, which we'll get to in a minute, the next thing he says, I misremembered as being said by the Metallicses. But it's said by Grimer, so... Uh, yes. Well, I mean, but then also, how would the Metallicses know that? Their Metallicses, I don't mind that. Which, yeah, <laughs> th- 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 that thing being that it's the Miracle Planet. They put yes. it, they bring it up on the screen there, in the Omniviewer screen, and that they want Grimer to help them harness the power of the Miracle Planet in the same way that... Robotnik once tried to use it as an energy source for the original Metallics. So the original Sonic Terminator story did specifically say that Metallics drew power from the Miracle Planet. Right. This planet is part of me. It it powers me. Yeah. Yeah. That was why he could always keep coming back and coming back and coming back because the Miracle Planet's power sustained him. But yeah, the precise interrelation of the two things is still, it still, still doesn't make sense, but don't worry about it. (laughs) I like it. I feel a little bit more settled down with it here than I was before. So I'm glad. Anyway, I just I'm so glad of this calling back to that. Like when I said 50 issues ago or however long ago it was that Girl Trouble and the Sonic CD adaptation yeah. began a run of interconnected yeah. stories, I meant it. You know, you did this We're is paying off back stuff. to stories yeah. we had eons ago in our lives, and 40 odd issues ago that was. It all ties together. I also love uh, Sonic still trying to fight Mr. Blobnik, and he tries to fry him with his secret Blobnik weapon, which is the umbrella, but he's forgot to put the batteries in. <laughs> I Okay, I love both of the pages. Is it two or is it even three? It's three pages of fighting Mr. Blobnik, and I love them because they are some of the most pure Sega-style Sonic stuff we've seen Rich get to draw, I think. He's just... Sonic is here, grinning at his mates... Crossing his legs, hands on hips, giving the, this... the pose like yeah. he's got a leg flip he's back. He's giving this over, yeah. stupid robot all the attitude that Sonic, when he's given time, as we've found in some of the Martin Adams stuff, he'll he'll sass, and it's nice to see him get to do it. I'm really happy about it. Like we even see it. There's a Sonic CD style bit where he kind of hops up on the in the script. It even says the uh, bottom of the first Mr. Blobnik page. Sonic is kind of like bonking him on the head and jumping over him. In the script, it even says. He, like, jumps over him by one finger, which is ever so Sonic CD. Mm. Really fun to see a whole issue of this stuff. And we, the reader, know, because we know what the, there's all this metallic stuff, we know that something is going to get twisted around. I spent the whole episode going, surely this was always a distraction. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much a distraction. It's a different kind of fake-out, if that's the word. No, Sonic spins around Mr. Blobnik and rips him apart with pure speed, you know, yeah. rips him apart with a vortex of speed. That's cool. He's blown to bits. Yeah. And I like that there's a little kid in it, you know, one of the Metropolis Zone's yes. kids inside the Badnik. Yeah, you don't tend to think of the animate, talking, mm. humanoid Badniks as having kids inside them, but this one did. But, turns out, Sonic, in the explosion, has been trapped in one of the bubbles Mr. Blobnik's been blowing out of his pipe. And then, Mr. Blobnik, <laughs> he, he, he does a John Carpenter's thing. The yes. head sprouts a load of claws, <laughs> takes off into the air. You let my foolish appearance can put you off guard. Mr. Blobnik's disembodied head grabs the bubble in his claws and uh, flies off with Sonic. This yeah. is very embarrassing. <laughs> 
And then, yes, as I said before, brought back to Citadel Citadel Robotnik, where Robotnik says, It pains me to say it, but I plan to let you go. They're going to team up because Mm. the Brotherhood of Metallics are in danger of ruling all Mobius. Love this close-up of Robotnik here in the final panel. You can really get in and see the brush strokes on the paint on this one that Elson's done here. Like, he's he's always got the little white highlights. I mean, mean, Sonic's always got little white highlights too, but Robotnik's always got those little sheens, those little light points, but when we get in this close, Mm. you can really see the little paint, the, the... the brush stroke across the yeah. the glint of the eyeball, the saliva of the tongue, the moisture <laughs> of the lip. Yeah, and he's got so many creases and folds all over his head because Robotnik honestly looks like gutted in these. He's panels. worried. What this does, you know, th- this just tells you if you didn't already know, if for whatever reason you haven't been following the Knuckles chaotic story, doesn't this just really set up? how much of a threat the Metallixes are. Robotnik's not going like, oh no, I hate those Metallixes, I'm going to fight them. He's scared of them. He knows what they can do. He is really, really worried, and he has to resort to teaming up with Sonic. I it mean, just, it's a classic, st- it's a classic, the hero mm, and the villain have yeah. to team up to take down the greater evil is a classic oh, plot, yeah. and STC, I'm just trying to think here, but they've never done it before, have they? Um... Robotnik and Sonic team Not up. Not that I can think of, no. No, because, I mean, Robotnik and Sonic didn't even meet face-to-face after the time skip until Girl Trouble. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, so this is, you know, and that that is the level of a threat we're dealing yeah. with here. This is, the, this is the threat that Robotnik and Sonic have to team up to it take down. It feels so big, and it clicks into the callback all the way to the uh, Sonic Terminator. It clicks into... The fact that we've had Chaotix leading up to this, it clicks into the fact that Chaotix led directly out of Sonic 3 and Knuckles. It just makes Sonic the comic feel big. It's another one of those moments in STC where you're like, this comic's a proper comic and matters and is important and I'm never going to stop reading it. And this is a long like story. This isn't this isn't just this one multi-part story either. Mm. That's the thing. It's like although this is the Brotherhood of Metallics, the story does not end here. Mm. That's we, we are yeah. into another. Well, I've said it a few times now, but it's like right out of the back of Sonic and Knuckles. Boom! With the previous Knuckles strip, straight into the next big run of stories that will carry us through to spring next year. Yes. Oh, it's oh, it's all going to be so good. Next issue. The Devil You Know. <laughs> graphic Zone. There's not much to talk about with the Graphic Zone this issue, is there? It's a um, it's a summer fun. Well, it's a surfing themed Graphic Zone, isn't it? Yep, it's a summer and surfing themed Graphic Zone. Bar one, they are all Sonic and Knuckles in one case surfing mm-hmm. pictures. Yeah, and they're all quite good. The one standout one is it's another picture by Jessica Padkin Taylor, who we had on previously yes. to talk about her Knuckles exercising piece of That's artwork. Right. And it is so visibly, now that we know, obviously <laughs> copied from a Garfield image of Garfield surfing. It's the feet. It's the feet. The feet give it away. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Those are Garfield's feet. Those are Garfield's feet. And at first you go like, oh no, Knuckles' his feet. And then you go, wait a minute. No, those are Garfield's feet. Not saying I would have put it together if I didn't know already. But now that I do know, when I see it... Maybe this would have been the smoking gun. I would have. I think I'd have recognised that they're Garfield feet. I wouldn't have guessed it was a whole Garfield picture. But it's a good drawing. 
They're, they're all kind of good drawings. I don't feel like there's any point in, in going through them all individually this time. Yeah, not really. They are by, I'll rest, rattle off the name. Go sure, on. we've got Credit one from Seamus yep. Rafferty from Middlesex with Sonic with, um, well, that might be a skateboard. It's hard to tell. It yeah. might, actually. And, yeah. and a Coke and sunglasses. We've got one from Freya Horn from Kempston in Bedford, which is a nice landscape picture of Sonic, who's Lovely. quite small in the picture on a big rolling ocean and uh, and the sun beating down. I do want to point out the interesting way that uh, Freya's drawn the sunbeams. It's like these sort of... It's like, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like the poster for the stage version of The Lion King. Those frayed sort of things coming out. That's, I want to know where those have come from because it's really that to me looks like something that's um, a child copying a more complex piece of artwork, perhaps a painted piece of artwork, and just having to simplify down the lines with her drawing an outline you know, around yeah, yeah. something that was painted. Yeah. yeah, Edward Walton from Eastley draws Sonic just reclining on a surfboard. James Dickinson does a rather nice one, I thought, of surfing mm. Sonic. That that has the energy of being copied, at least in part. Those hands. Those those are very familiar hands. But not from a Sonic picture, I don't think. No, no, no. Those those look like Calamity James's hands. They honestly they do, and yet none of the rest of it fits no, in with I that. Know, I think this is a that one, yeah. multiple sources being used here. Well done, James Dickinson. Gavin Brandreth does another one, Surfing Sonic. Yes, very, very sort of sweet anime look. Yeah, it. big old There's eyes something on about it, his yeah. eyes. Yeah. Then the one that grabs my attention is the last one here by Daniel yeah. McCabe, which is the one non-surfing Sonic. Yeah. It's Sonic in... Well, tell you what I think, right? I think they're trying to play this off as a lifeguard Sonic. Oh, yeah. To go along with <laughs> the no, water surfing seaside beach And there thing. is... You can see the sun the above him. there, so. yeah. And so he's in a little chair with his sunglasses on, and he's got a megaphone in his hand, in the manner that a lifeguard would have. But I think it's supposed to be Sonic in a folding director's chair. Definitely a director's chair. I think that's the idea of the, yeah. uh, of the picture. That is yeah. the, that's the megaphone into which you shout cut and action yes. and stuff for sure but i think they're playing it as a lifeguard picture to try and match the theme so uh crayola overwriters to all of those kids back to unreality part six written by michael cook art by brian williamson letters by tom frame working together to escape a gigantic shark brad and casey return to iocatraz only to be informed by the mysterious voice that the telepad there only has the power to take one of them home. Guilty over his misdeeds in Wildside, Brad decides to stay and shoves Casey onto the pad, but the voice refuses to let Casey return home and challenges him to reach the game's final level. It's been 26 years and I'm still mad about it. (laughs) This is... Not only is this a cliffhanger, it reads like an appeal. It reads like a desperate, please let me have a third series. Yeah. Give him another series, you swine. <laughs> yeah, give me another series, you shit. <laughs> so the original Kid Chameleon also ended on an open note of him, oh, I'll have to go back and rescue Brad from Wildside. Sure. But it told a complete story. Mm. It ended in the way that the first serial of a children's ITV drama might end. Yeah. With the promise of a second, but if the second didn't happen, yeah, all right. Yeah. This ends with Casey still stuck in the game and challenged to, you know, face off with the voice. Well, I don't know. The, the voice says, you'll have to take me to the final level. So I don't know. Yes. What about that. But, but yeah, it, and it ends with, in the sort of way you could again imagine 
a TV ending, zooming in on the glasses as he gets ready to lift them and goes, I'm ready. Chameleon! Mm -hmm. And they never made any more. That's it. And I wonder... I mean, and the way it ends here is, want to see the final showdown between Casey and The Voice? Right, right, right! And they've asked us that before. Uh And this feels like... I, I don't know. Because obviously they said we would see Shinobi again soon. They said we would see Streets mm-hmm. of Rage soon. And those never came back. And we are at a point now where the comic is very close to phasing out strips based on other Sega games. There are only a couple yeah. left, apart from Decapitec, yeah. which will stick around for a while. And this feels like a casualty. Like, this doesn't feel like a conscious yeah. decision to not make any more this like, they didn't get enough letters or anything. This <laughs> yeah. feels like a casualty of some higher editorial decision. And I'm still better about it. Yeah. Mm. Like, Kickstarter. It would be one. Th- God, yeah. Get down on that. Can <laughs> you imagine? Get the, get the team together. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be one thing, even if. It's the fact that, right, it's a mysterious voice. And it, we, we're mm. teased now with the final showdown with the voice. That is to say, we'll see what's behind the voice when he faces off. We'll see yeah. who it is and what it. Like, there's still a question hanging over the thing. It's not just the game talking to him or something like that yeah it's the voice there's something behind it you know? exactly the fact that we've spent this in the first series unambiguously i thought that was the voice of the game mm. but in this series we've seen it like play people against each other and then here at the end we do get this comment of like take me to the final level yes if it is a trapped soul that wants to beat the game or something, something like that yeah it's fascinating. It, I'm suddenly really interested in the voice in a way that I didn't realise I was being led to. I do like that the last episode of this series, whether or not it's of the last, you know, the mm. whole thing, is these two guys having to spend an issue together without being able to turn mm. into Kid Chameleon. Like, I, I quite like that as a concept. If there'd been another serial, I would have different mm. opinions. But yeah. there wasn't. Yeah. It does It does start a little odd, I, I thought. Should we get Casey's usual narration? I've saved the kids from the virtual reality of Wildside, but my troubles aren't over. Two problems remain. One, my secret's out, for as we saw last issue, he turned back into Casey in front of Brad. And two, I gave up my powers in the process. And I'm like, oh, did oh. you? Oh, did he? Well, and then I remembered, should you remember, at the end of the previous serial, indeed, in the cliffhanger to part five and then running through part six, he also turned back into Casey and then couldn't transform again after oh, that. Oh, no, I didn't remember. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I guess that's it. But then, then, suddenly, a little bit later, he's saying things like, no, need time to charge my powers. And I'm like, okay, how do you know that? That's not what happened before, you know? Mm, yeah, that's a new rule. I mean, I, I accept it, but it's, you know, it, it starts the comic in a weird way where you have to remember that happened before. But last issue, it felt like he was purposefully revealing himself to Brad and hearing well but he does say here I gave up my powers in the process it sounds almost like it was a voluntary decision to reveal himself to Brad but doesn't it it feel and I sometimes got this sense with the kid chameleon strips that like we're not given all the information Casey has necessarily like it feels as if now and then something will be brought in that we're like well you've never established that and so you just have to be like oh I guess that's what it is yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of the art there's a interesting choice on page two isn't there where um williamson draws millions of panels yes it's a one of the 16 panel grid yeah now i'm a big fan i love 
a lots of panels page, right? Especially when the page count is limited like this. Uh, not just because I I think it's interesting to look at, but also it, it actually slows things down. It gives you more to read. It's one panel, one character, one headshot, one line of dialogue. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's you're cutting between these people as they have this conversation. You could do it with fewer panels. In fact, a lot of the panels on the page are given over to dramatic close-ups of the shark. Yes, it's bits about of the mounting shark, the tension as this huge, rowing hands, wonderfully yeah. drawn shark, by the way terrifying looking thing mm. encloses yeah. upon them i love this one here where you know we get we get the fin we push in tighter on its head in the next panel we push in tighter on its and its head in the next panel then the next panel is its teeth and then the next panel set right next to it is just the other half of its mouth like its mouth is yeah. so huge it spans it two, takes panels. two panels yeah, yeah. also uh, another bit of praise i want to give to the art i no longer think that they look too old for the parts yeah, which i did they look a couple right of issues here, ago they? yeah yeah I was just making that criticism quite recently, an issue or two ago, and like, yeah, no, it's it's sorted out. He looks himself again. Mm. So it's it's really cool. I actually think that there's it feels as if there's more panels than usual across the board, not just on that one dramatic page. Certainly, the second to last page has quite a lot of panels on it, which maybe had a certain feeling of like, oh, it's the last episode, we've got to cram quite a lot in. But it all looks and reads mm. really nicely. I think this is really cool. There's no need to give over big spaces to big splashy panels of superheroes this episode. Yeah. This is just, the baddie is a shark. Well, that's right. It adds to the down-to-earth feel of these two guys squaring off in a similar way to you know the CITV beginnings and endings that we've praised before. Mm. So... I think it's a good comic, this. Yeah, it's also... I mean, the through line is, you know, Brad is disgusted to discover that this superhuman virtual warrior is just some dweeby school kid, while Casey is on his case for having turned bad guy while in Wildside, essentially, as we see, to survive. Brad yeah. surrendered to the voice and followed its directions and became a, a bad guy uh, in order to survive and uh you know casey calls him up as a quitter for not wanting to fight against the shark or whatever and that you know really riles brad he's no quitter but it, i mean that's because that's effectively what he did he didn't fight he did just surrender yeah. to what the voice asked of him as a way to survive yeah. but here he picks up the oar and smashes the shark over the head as he's yeah and uh, then the shark hits them yeah. and they're thrown into the water and uh, Brad is the one who's able to drag Casey, you know, to shore. And it's like, well, guess we're even now then because he came back to save Brad and now Brad saved him and it's all good. I think he's learning what I've already realised. It doesn't take muscles to give you real strength. It takes heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also that was an odd. It was an odd moment to say that because it was. It literally takes muscles to do what they're doing. While yeah, they're they are it, literally which is climbing, climbing a, a mountain. Yeah, <laughs> and in fact, the previous on, there's two captions on that same panel, and the previous one is like, "Wow, this is really hard." <laughs> Brad seems all right, but I, I think when they when he says heart, what he means is determination, grit. Oh, you, know, you can be right. tough. Brad is tough. Brad does have muscles, but. He crumpled in the face of a challenge uh, rather than fight when he came into Wildside. He, you know, he surrendered to, uh, to, to the voice. So that, that's, that's what heart is being used as a euphemism here for. But, but mm. you're not wrong in that the bit where his muscles actually come in handy is not the time to point it out. <laughs> yeah, it's the one panel where he does that. If I'm nitpicking, there's a balloon error, isn't there? Right right near the end, second uh, to last panel. Oh, yeah, yeah, where where they forgot to paint the white on the back of the speech bubble, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Casey is saying, and me, you know, asking like, yeah. The, the, what did you do with Brad? Returned him yeah. to the game. This is my realm. I make the rules. And then Casey says, and me, looking more like a child in that panel than at any point previously, possibly. I mean, that's what he looks like on the game title screen. That's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I cannot let you go, Chameleon. You are the ultimate challenge to exit Wildside. You'll have to take me to the final level. Now, right, yes, this seems to imply that there was supposed to be a third part. Mm. But we have exhausted all of his different... That is the thing, right? That has Mm. haunted me. Like, this strip got through all the remaining characters from the game. So would a third part, a third serial, just have been revisiting the characters? I feel like I'd have been okay yeah. with that. I would have been yeah. okay with that. I it think would just it, it, have to have been told in such a way that the chapters, as as with the first serial and the first half of this serial, were not. He turns into this character and fights a bunch of generic sprites and then gets out of the level exactly. at the end. Yeah, there would have to be something more. Generic sprites that match who he's turned into. That's the thing. We've up till now we've had like, okay, now I'm this guy and I'm in this guy's level or mm. whatever. And a third series could have been like, well, no, here's who I need for this general. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in one place, maybe fighting the last boss of the game, and I need this character. Now I need this character. That would have been more interesting. Perhaps they were even waiting to see if there would be a sequel with new maybe characters yeah. to be. It, it is the fact that this did go out of its way to finish off the game roster, and yet still choose to end yeah. on a cliffhanger. I'm like. Were it I, knowing that I was exhausting what the game had to offer, yeah. I had to put a full stop at the end of this one. Yeah. Oh, I'm so better. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, Kid Chameleon. We had some fun with you. It's been a, a good one. You know, this is a good chapter yeah. of it. And after my initial concerns at the start about the way the individual chapters were playing out, they really found something else to latch on to here with this one. And whereas all my childhood memories, as I've said before, of Kid Chameleon were, ooh, what does he turn into in this one? I really find there was more to get a hold of in this serial than I remember. It's redundant of me to say, oh, I'll miss talking about Kid Chameleon on Sonic the Comic, the podcast, because I still miss it now because I didn't get an end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, perhaps we can entertain ourselves by just making up the next series and we'll just... You will just riff on it. We'll just as we'll just pitch it, come up with the story ourselves, and pretend it was in it. Get that in a <laughs> Patreon dedicated episode where we just like <laughs> spitball ideas about Kid Chameleon Three: The Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> oh, goodbye, Kid Chameleon. Bye. You turned me round. I liked Kid Chameleon while doing STCTP, and I I didn't really the first time round because it was just guys. <laughs> the benefits of a giant skeleton robot tank. Exactly. I feel like that yeah. was your turning point. I feel like that was. Uh, yeah, really honestly, I think so. And it happened like just as they pivoted <laughs> the plot towards this more interesting Brad stuff in the mm. back half. That was your little gateway through. <laughs> yeah, but now I'll be trapped in it forever because it never lets us out. Never mind. It never let me go of my bitterness. <laughs> Wait a minute, so it's actually brilliant then, isn't it? <laughs> Kid Chameleon the Strip, you got sucked into whatever it's called, Wildside, and they never, never let you out. So it's actually good, see? It's actually good. It's actually very clever. Mm. <laughs> I do not like Barf or the way they look, but if I did, 
then I think this would be one of the better pinups that STC's done. Yeah, it's a nice original pinup. So it's Barf. Yeah, they're back. We knew that. Yeah. And it's Bert sort of sitting or squatting or doing the Tory power pose anyway <laughs> over a, a pile of scrapped Badnik parts holding aloft a big Barf logo that Cam is perched on top of and she seems to be building it or completing its construction with the mm. mechanical arms that come out of her backpack like screwing in screws. That's right, yeah. I think Bert's like legs are being pushed apart by the weight yes, of this it's, thing it's, he's, he's holding sweating. up. He's kind of, yeah. And so yeah, just the layout of it, the fact that it's this big logo that's like drawn as a thing that they're actually interacting with yeah. and it's got a big Robotnik on it glowering down. Even the addition of the STC pinup art by Mike Hadley uh, at the yes. bottom there between Bert's legs does not offend you, I would think. No. Tastefully positioned yeah. and it's like a grey chrome against the grey chrome look of the Badnik heap. It's like, it's a good... Yeah. If only I liked... The way these guys are drawn. It's just a catastrophic misinterpretation of the popularity of Barf. Yes, as every appearance of them feels like it is. Like, I'm sure there were some people who liked it. Must have been somewhere. But nobody would have cried if they didn't get their Barf pinup. <laughs> no. What a shame that so many of the other pinups weren't given this amount of care and attention. Yes. Of note, these are the characters as we remember them looking in the previous Barf yes. strip. Yes. We'll come on to that in a little bit. Knuckles Tales The Revenge of Trog Part 1 Written and drawn by Nigel Gitching with letters by Elliot Fell. Knuckles stumbles upon Tails just as he's once more being summoned to the Nameless Zone by Shaman Warple and follows him through the portal. Warple assumes Knuckles must be Tails' assistant, Sonic, and before Knuckles can correct him, he changes the subject to explain that the Enchanter Kings of the Nameless Zone have been captured by the evil Trog. Errol Blackthorn was sent to rescue them, but returned, transformed, into a monster like Trog. I had a great time reading this Yeah, one. this is great, Crack. This is Nigel Kitching getting to return to what he was doing with the Nameless yes. Zone 40 issues ago. Oh, flipping heck. Yeah. Nigel, Nigel likes his long callbacks, doesn't he? Yeah, we're doing big, big, like, 40-issue callbacks here. Yeah, because for whatever reason, he was taken off of the tail strip, and Mark Isles mm -hmm. was put on it and did one more... Um, Nameless Stone story, then did the, the Zone Runner stuff instead. And this is just, uh, he's straight back in it. It's about Trog again. But what's fun about it is that he's not just pulling the script if he'd ever, you know, it's not as if he wrote the script and just pulled it out of storage and printed it. No, it's all mm. different because it gets to be yeah. now about Knuckles and Tails. Yeah. And we get to have this fun, instead of just being the same Tails bit again, where he's mistaken yeah. f for for being a hero by someone and go from there, we get to have this great additional layer where somebody who knows that it's all bullshit, like kind of like <laughs> Errol last time, finding out about it, is in on the adventure along with him, and it's Knuckles, and Knuckles gets mistaken for Sonic. Yeah. It's great. Cool. That's really cool. In a lesser note, um, it's, hey, it's Shaman Warple from Mark yeah. Isles' tale strip. Oh, yeah. Oh. Do in Kitching's previous strip, it was just the Enchanter Kings who summoned him, but here is the Shaman that oh. um, that Isles introduced to summon him in to rescue the kids from the goblins in that the Morbidden right. Hunt. Okay. So, yeah. I really like knowing that he's doing this long callback 
<laughs> Michael does a, a brilliant caption to ostensibly explain what's going on. And this is where Shaman Walpole says, Sonic! Mistaking Knuckles for Sonic. Sonic, I should have realised. Welcome! Tails has told us all about how you help him in his endless struggle against the villainous Dr. Robotnik. Asterisk. And then the caption says, For anyone who hasn't read Tails' own adventures in Nameless Zone, shame on you. <laughs> it doesn't, like, doesn't refer back to the issues we're, they happened in. <laughs> Just we're about to get an explanation. You. And then all we get is like, well, for anyone who doesn't know what's going on, swivel, Megadroid. <laughs> <laughs> or is this another instance of us missing a reference to the word shaman? Ed. And then Knuckles just turns and goes, Sonic helps you. And Tails goes, ha ha ha, um, there's been a little misunderstanding. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, Ketching's drawing it. So it's great. It's oh, I so love, great. Love how he draws the Sonic characters. Oh, it's he's so he's oh, really his good. tales is very adventures influenced, and I don't love sure. that as much. Mm-hmm. But there's enough of his own energy coming into it. Like this shot of him going through the portal, it's good. But then I don't so oh, much yeah. love this panel of him standing next to Shaman Warpool and introducing him. Well, that is the. I mean, that's Nigel drawing... The model sheet, practically. The model sheet drawing of Tails from Adventures. You know what's just flashed into my head? What? Tails says, Shaman Whoopal, I'd like you to meet my friend. And then Whoopal mistakes him for something. And I've just realised, my friend? Has Tails not met Knuckles once? Hey. Well, you know, I suppose he's probably met him more than once, Like, but they met as enemies. I guess they left as friends. They left as friends after the Chaos Emerald bit. Yeah, they're not bosom buddies. But then they didn't meet in the team-up story that ended the original arc because Tails and Amy had already left by that point. Yeah. They didn't meet in the Ice Cap because it was just Sonic. Didn't meet at all in the whole Sonic 3 and Knuckles storyline. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they were in the same place during Predicto. <laughs> <laughs> just seems a little over-familiar, doesn't it? It does a little bit, but I guess it's that, like, Tails is more friendly than some. And so it's like, this is... Because, you know, we're aligned, we're on the same side, this is my friend. And then, presumably, by the end of this strip, they'll actually be friends. We'll see. I like the idea of Tails and Knuckles, honestly. Because yes. Tails is... And what's the way... Deferential? You know, mm-hmm. he's not full of himself. He, if Knuckles said to Tails, get off of my island, Tails would have the good taste and politeness to get off of his island. <laughs> I think they'd get along well in that regard, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then on the other end, like, Knuckles isn't going to have the same... He's not going to tease Tails the way Sonic does. So there's actually yeah. a, there's a better chance of them becoming friends, as it were. <laughs> I've never really thought of it like that, yeah. It's like we had yeah. that letter a little while ago talking about how there haven't been any Sonic and Tails team-up stories and in ages. Mm, and here's yeah. Tails and Knuckles having a little team-up instead. And I suppose the question is, like, why why they go this route? What was the thought process, you know? I guess they probably wanted to have another Knuckles strip, but maybe yeah. Kitching saw the opportunity to get back to his uh, unfinished Nameless Zone plot. It might be that, because we know that he was um, confused as to why he was suddenly taken off it the first time round. Yeah. Knuckles is still the new hotness, so they do oh, yeah. still want a new strip with him. And... Why yeah, not? Because I, mean, I think Why... Knuckles is basically never never out of this comic. No, I think he basically just always has a strip going forward. Quite right, as it should or, be. Or any absences are very brief ones. And right? yet this keeps him separate. He always feels best when he's got his own thing going on. I suppose the obvious thing to do would be to just give him more floating island adventures, but while the... Well, no, that's kind of what this is, because it does start with him like, all right, I'm trying to rebuild. I'm in the Chaos Emerald. We get to yeah. see Nigel's version of the Chaos Emerald Chamber and the Emerald Hill folk in their Mushroom Valley village. And then it just spins 
off from there. So yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a nice little logical way of giving Knuckles and Tails something to do. I mean, it's exactly where how the the previous uh, Knuckles strip started, isn't it? He's in the mm. Emerald Chamber going, well, here we go. And then it's like, Beep! and he hops in a tube and pops out in the Mushroom Hill Zone. And then he finds a weird glowing portal. It's like, yes. it's in fact exactly how the previous <laughs> Knuckles strip began. Yes, I suppose it is, isn't it? God, nobody will let Knuckles just get on with sorting out his island, will they? I know. God, he just won't. Just let him be to tidy up. It's all he yeah, wants. All he, he just wants, wants a peaceful do. life. Time to tidy. He's trying to do the hoovering. <laughs> so Errol has gone off to try and rescue the Enchanter Kings who've mm. been taken captive. So he's gone off on that bridge again over to the evil goblin place. The uh, land beyond. And he seems to have come back as Trog. He's been transformed into a Trog. A Trog. And, like, yeah, cool. As revealed on a final full-page splash image. Ah, oh, it's really good. He's all lumps and nobles. One of the things about the way that Nigel draws is that he has kind of two versions of the way he draws. He's got the zoomed out and the zoomed in version. Do you know what I mean? So when you've got a character from a distance, it, all of his command of shapes, which is kind of... I don't, I don't really know. I haven't figured out a better way of saying it, but that's how I think of Nigel's drawing. Is He, ha he just knows what to do with shapes. And he fills up the, the background and the surrounding area with them while Tails and Knuckles sort of stand in it. When you've got a full-page picture of someone, he puts all of his shapes into that person. <laughs> and Trog is so full of shapes. And it's really, really cool. <laughs> we know that Trog was... We, we learned in the previous story that Trog used to be the uh, the third enchanter. Yeah, sorry, I think I've, I called this guy Trog when he's not, because that's it's, someone it, it, else. He's a Trog, you know. But, he's a uh, Trog. Yeah, the, so... We have, you know, precedent for the idea that foxes, if foxes become go there, these things. Yeah, yeah, and that was a bit confusing to us at the time. We're like, oh, what? So a fox went there, turned into Trog. He okay. made contact with the Dark One. Yeah. Now we're seeing that essentially that's what happens if a fox goes there. I kind of want... I don't remember this strip, and I sort of no, don't think... No, I'm having some, some, as I think I said last issue, like some dominoes are falling, and I think I was oh, wrong yeah. to say that the Dark One stuff never came back again. But at the same time, I remember another character who gets introduced in this one. Oh, really? But I don't remember where it actually goes. So I don't think that this is what it is, but I would quite... I think I'd be quite excited if, if this became a threat on Tails. Like, if we hang around here, he's going to turn into a trog. Oh, I know. I don't think it's that. I don't think so either, but that would be I, quite cool. I think he has been ensorcelled in some capacity. <laughs> now that you've introduced me to the word ensorcelled, which you did a couple of issues ago, <laughs> it keeps coming up. I like this bit where um, Knuckles dives through the portal into Shaman Warpool. What is this place? This is the nameless zone. I was merely summoning our champion, Miles Prower. Miles Prower? Never heard of him. He means me! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I just... Uh, I love it when he gets to draw. Like, there's been so little of it, and he drew that mechanic two-par. Just like... It was the last issue, wasn't it? And the issue before. He's, they're so ooh, little and squidgy and round. And, and I love how he draws them. It's like you say, he does all the shapes, right? Mm -hmm. And some characters are all the shapes. And then Tails is exclusively round. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, 
and even knuckle like he draws a great knuckles doesn't he oh yeah he draws a like, great knuckles. even compared to him being the first one to draw knuckles in the summer special last year but he, he what a great knuckles he draws he do, yeah it's a really good knuckles but it is a softer knuckles than perhaps we see sometimes mm. he is rounder the way that tails is and yet i think he's more comfortable or at least he tends to draw sharper angles a lot of the time. So a lot of his background stuff has, you know, m- more angular things going on in it. And so s- Tails and Knuckles kind of stand out against that. That's lovely. I'm looking forward to more of this one, because as I say, I don't really remember where it goes. And it's, nope. again, it's a big payoff to a plot that was put in motion and sort of abruptly curtailed 40 issues ago. What a good comic STC is. Oh, this is a good issue, isn't it? This is a good oh, issue. it is. Yeah, it's got all of our favourite sort of thing in it. Well, Q-Zone then. I thought last issue was bad. My heart honestly jumped and sank at the same time when I saw this page, which I take to mean it leapt off his platform and swam away. Oh, it's part two of Dave Gibbons' FIFA 95 special in which he overuses the phrase a budding X. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that, I must admit. Three separate times. Mm. A budding soccer star, a budding mm. Eric Cantona, yeah. any budding Ryan Giggs. Yeah. Zzz, yeah. probably say. Everybody's budding and flowering and blooming all over the football pitch. It's impossible to tell if this is about the game or not. Right, yes, exactly. It's the same as last issue. There's this picture of the screen where it does list off the strategy forms that you can pick between yep. long ball, all out defend, attack, defend, and all out attack. And he he only chooses to talk about three of those, but I, I, I presume it must affect the gameplay, but I swear, honestly, it sounds like he's talking more about the sport of football. Yes, definitely. I cannot believe that these options in this football game have such a big effect on gameplay in the 16-bit era. I'm starting to wonder, when I look at that screenshot that does have those tactics to choose, you're none, long ball, all out of end. Yeah, because all the other football games I'm aware of, i.e. the ones I've ever played, because I was long past that ever happening at this stage, oh, yes. um, are, you know, you're running about and like wherever the ball is, the guy on your team nearest to that is now the one you control and things like this. Uh, I don't know that we've ever been able to control the tactics of the other players at all before, and and maybe this... Look, I bring a slightly new perspective to this football tactics rundown than I did to the last one, because I've watched a football now. You f***ing weirdo. (laughs) Listen, boomers, right, we are recording this the week after football failed to come home. Yes. And why on God's earth did you watch it? You have betrayed me, you have betrayed this podcast, yeah. you have betrayed yeah. our listeners. You've betrayed yeah. yourself! Yeah, I ha- no I have. It really feels like that. Why, honestly, and this is, honestly, this is the reason. Because that one football game, out of all the football games I've ever existed during the same time as, made the right wingers cross instead of happy. And so I watched Ooh, that's a reasonable... <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that's a good justification yeah because it right. was the one where the team was made out of good boys who were all taking knees and stuff and all of your all of your reactionaries were going like well they'll never get anywhere behaving like this so i was like wouldn't it be fun if they did i felt like i had to watch it fair enough actually i will i i feel like you have <laughs> walked back my complaints there what it means anyway is that i now know a bit more about 
what football goes Listen to like. this little little Mr. Expert now with That's his right. one football game yep. in his pocket. And he's Get me on grandstand. On this show is a bloke who didn't even know what an exhibition match was a couple of issues ago. <laughs> I still don't. I might be able to comprehend some of what... Who? David Gibbon? Who does this? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Is talking about here. So I had a little I, I had a little look to see if I could comprehend it. Where he says all out defense, right? He says, Oh, things must be tricky for you to use this. Here, your midfielders don't, don't know what they are yet. End up as your defense. Okay, so just thinking about it, it must be that those are the guys who would be there. Now they're crowding in front of the goal. Okay, fine. That's what England should have done. Or did. I don't know if they did this. Because he says that I'm if you're... I'm getting angry listening to you. It's so boring, isn't it? I've tried. Oh, my God. It went, As soon as he got jargony. I read Spider-Man comics whenever the match was on, Dave. Mm. That is a good use of your time. I would have preferred to be doing that. Like, I didn't even know how to pass this sentence, right? Listen to this. Don't look at me, but go on. If you are... No, but I don't even mean about football. Like, literally, grammatically, I don't know how to pass this. If you're going to use all-out attack, make sure you put your... And here's the bit. Your midfield and attack coverage run from the halfway line to your opponent's goal. That might be a typo for all I can tell. Uh, uh, um, make sure you put your midfield and attack coverage run or from it could the be half- midfield and attack coverage run coverage run or it or could be meant to say make sure your midfield and attack coverage they run, run from, from the, the halfway, halfway line I, I genuinely i don't know but here's what i will say reading over this especially when you get to the bit at the end about how like oh use the b button to do this c and down left will head the ball this does assuming he's talking about fifa 95 rather than just football it seems like a really sound set of tips from someone who does understand a quite complex control scheme. I will, yeah. Which is actually, new for yes, the Q-Zone, that, I think. That's true. The, yeah. It's just a shame that it seems to be because of this writer's existing it just, interests. <laughs> it makes me hot and angry. <laughs> yeah, same. And I'm already so hot. <laughs> Something to catch you by surprise. You're not used to yeah. finding anything between the Q zone and the final strip, yeah. but we have a little feature. It's yeah. called Record Baker. That's right. And, of course, before I even allowed my eyes to dance across the page, I I have to admit to thinking that it must obviously be an interview with Cheryl, Cheryl Baker, Baker off of Eggs and Baker and yeah. Record Breakers. Yeah, it must have been, or at least that something Sega was featured on Eggs. Was Eggs and Baker still on? Probably <laughs> not, dude. Here's the we thing. Are... I thought not, because I thought it was an 80s thing, because I don't remember what it was. I just know the name. But on last night's Top of the Pops 1991 episode, there was a reference to it in the liner notes on Twitter. So maybe it was still on as late as then. Well, maybe then. <laughs> but I don't know. Eggs and Baker ended in 1993. Turns out the reason I didn't know was that it was on before going live, i.e. ridiculously early in the morning. We don't need to explain uh, what those were. I hardly know. There were TV programs starring a woman named Cheryl Baker, and one of the programs was called Record Breakers. She presented that, right? I don't know. I think I'm, she I might like have she done. Listen, yeah. I hope she did, because why on God's earth would I make the assumption based on the title that it was about her and that then? She must have did, yeah. Anyway, it's not, so it doesn't matter. It's an interview with champion windsurfer Nick Baker. Oh, I've heard of him, Heather. Well, yes. You know what? I I said that dismissively. He actually seems kind of cool from this. I quite like the sound of him. Seems sound. I mean, you have heard of him before, because he's been mentioned in a previous issue, because the thing is, like, this 
at no point does this brief interview explain why they're interviewing him. <laughs> Which is because he was being sponsored by Sega at the time. Oh, of course. Oh, it's written on his jacket there. I can see. Yeah, yeah, but at, at no point. Yeah, they never mention it. They just start going on about this windsurfer for some reason. Yeah, it's clearly it, what it what it looks like is that for some random reason, Audrey Wong from the editorial staff bumped into him, made him hold whatever copy of SDC she had in her bag at the time, yeah. and took a photo of that. That that's that seems to be. <laughs> Wait, what are they standing in front of? It's like a plane or something. But it's got uh, Sonic and Knuckles logos all over it. Might be a boat. Might be a boat. I mean, you just see a window. It's presumably the team vehicle. Yes. It being sponsored by Sega. So yeah, no harm to Nick Baker or anything. But nope. there's not a single point made during this interview no. that we can bounce off of to have any interesting chat about. No, he's just talking about who he is, his accomplishments, what he's done, when he started, how good at it he is. And then he likes Sonic Three, he says. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I, I kind of assuming this is his answer to questions. Mm. It does sound as if he does play Mega Drive games. Right at the end. Last but not least, what are your favourite Sega games? He says I really like Sonic Three because of the 3D stages. He wasn't just saying that like that's yeah. the latest one. Plus Echo the Dolphin and Virtual Racing. So if those were his answers. It sounds like we'd have got along with him. Yeah, the most notable thing here is that the picture of him holding SDC, is, it's got a picture of assistant editor Audrey Wong in there as well, standing next to him. And pointing at it. Pointing at the comic that he's holding, yeah. Identified here only as one of the Humes who thinks she's in charge. Yes. Which um, is, you know, I feel like, wasn't Deborah Tate credited with that terrible Right Said Fred interview? <laughs> at least... Audrey yes. doesn't get the credit here. Yes, I think you're right there, yeah. So, I, I, like, I love a feature, and I yeah. genuinely wish I had something more to say about it, but I'm afraid there's no Anton Deck snowboarding tomfoolery no. to be had with this one, no. Seems like a sound enough bloke, but... Uh... But what there is is a new advert. Yeah. We haven't had one of them in a while. I haven't had an ad in ages! Yeah, and it's Yabba Dabba Doo, the Flintstones movie is out on video, and if you buy it, you can send for the Flintstones rock sack... <laughs> rucksack for only one pound fifty that's bloody good yeah very good value plus 85p postage and packaging uk only while stocks last details in the video did you have any relationship with the flintstones movie chris i mean i saw it not in the cinema yeah. but i saw it you know i did see it at the cinema i i was into the flintstones movie. i was gonna say i'm <laughs> i you didn't need to say that i was gonna say i'll bet you loved it you weirdo Okay. In the same way that you love the Mario Brothers movie. And the Popeye movie. I think I just really liked when something was just turned into a thing. I just like the Mr. Blubby single. I liked it when something that was usually the... the When something that was one thing became another thing. Yes, but it was more like something that was often the province of grown-ups. Like, singles. That's for older people than me. But here's one about Mr. Blobby. I will buy. I bought any single time any remix of a TV theme was brought out as a single. Anything like that. Because it felt like that was where I lived and they were finally catering to me. The Flintstones film was probably, I don't know, maybe to date, the most like, look, we took a cartoon and we put it on the screen that anyone ever did. And I really, yeah. really appreciate that. And it was honestly, it was only when I saw it as an adult, that I found out it wasn't a very good film. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I thought it was a good film. Not a brilliant one. I never thought it was that great. But in terms of its translation, but what I will go to bat for, apart, obviously, from, you know, some of the casting, 
John Goodman as Fred Flintstone, absolutely bang on. You couldn't possibly, no one in history, a better choice. The soundtrack album. I knew you were going to say the bloody album. Uh, dark. Jesus. I know. We gotta break out. Listen here, right? We live in a time now. We are just the right age <laughs> to see and to have to suffer through the worst movies yeah. that we've ever seen yeah. be heralded as classics of the era <laughs> on the internet. Are you talking about the revival of Space Jam? I'm not not talking about it. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, that's something from our teenagehood, our childhood, essentially. Mm. I am including things like that in it, but I mean, obviously, there are people younger than us now who will, you know, whose entire online language is SpongeBob memes mm-hmm. and swearing that Megamind was a good film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that extends as far back as. Things like the Flintstones and Space yep. Jam and honestly yep. believing they were good. Yeah, yep. And I, and I did, and I collected trading cards and I had a folder for them and all of this. I was into it. No, the one thing I'll go to bat for was the soundtrack album. It had some really good stuff on it. In the days of the caveman, Crash Test Dummies, beautiful song. Had some weird out on it it had you know walk the dinosaur on it. it was good it was good it had some good things on it listen digimon the movie had a great soundtrack album too but i'm not going around claiming it was high art no i can't make that claim either no it's good almost all of the songs on that album good the main thing being that they let the old b-52s off the leash yeah i remember that's the one i remember b-52s did the theme song they did the theme song and they did a pretty good version theme song but also there was this sketch on the Flintstones, the actual Flintstones, not the film, where there was this song called The Bedrock Twitch, and it was this rock and roll song. There's a town I know where the hipsters go called Bedrock. Twitch, twitch, when you get an itch, then you do the twitch in Bedrock. Twitch, twitch. For whatever reason, they did a little skit in the film where the B, the BC-52s did that song. Here's the thing, though. They seem to have given the B-52s total control over what they recorded as long as it had the phrase twitch twitch somewhere in it so they they did a full-on b-52 song they did like a five minute long let's go nuts we're gonna do anything we want song the way they do with all their other songs it's dead good Go and listen to the the b-52 you can listen to a sample of it (laughs) right now Sonic's World The Seven Badniks Part 1 Written by Mark Isles, art by Mike Hadley, colours by John Burns and letters by Steve Potter After Sonic scraps a bunch of Rex and Badniks in the Hilltop Zone, Badnik Army repair functionaries Cam and Bert are called to clean up. 
When Dr. Robotnik himself shows up, Cam laments to her leader that Sonic always knows what badniks to find in each zone and can prepare accordingly. This gives Robotnik an idea, and he instructs Cam and Bert to transport some badniks from the Miracle Planet's Palm Tree Panic Zone to the Green Hill Zone so they can catch Sonic unawares. So it's Cam and Bert again. Cam and Bert again. If you've forgotten, these are the janitors. Hmm. They are the answer to the question, who actually cleans up the badniks after Sonic bashes them? Who cleans, keeps, maintains the badniks? They're also the answer to the question, Dave, what was your least favourite thing in Sonic the Comic ever? <laughs> They're the answer to a question no one asked. <laughs> they have been redesigned for this strip. They have. They're a bit less gross. And look, honestly, I've got to say I enjoyed this strip more than the previous Camembert. I'll say that. I mean, there, first of all, there's nothing in it where you're screaming at the strip that the bad Nick is wrong. Well, that's actually <laughs> not true at all. We'll come to that later. But you just don't know it. Yeah. And they're not as horrendous to look at. I can't figure out what's actually different about Bert's design, aside from the fact he seems to have gelled his hair back. But yeah. it is different. It is. I'm going to flip back to the uh, the pinup. No, I, I did it already. I still can't figure it out. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, maybe it's just that he's using a slightly different pen or something. It doesn't have that felt tipsy look. It has more of a, a, a nib ink kind of a look to it this time, I think. But Cam has been completely redesigned. She yeah. is no longer the slit-eyed, fang-toothed cat monster. That she yeah. was previously and is on the pinup. She just looks like a more normal cat. No. Cat lady, yeah. Not, that is to say, a cat as it would look in the world of Sonic. No. Unfortunately. No, sadly not, no. No, it has the look of a, a sort of um, a comic of the era that by someone unusual, you know, a Grant Morrison or someone, about, yeah, here's randomly a cat person and a, an ox person. And what does that mean? What does <laughs> it all mean? Yeah, in, in Sonic, nothing. <laughs> But yeah, as I said, the thrust of this is we see Sonic defeat these Rexons using fire extinguishers to... Well, there's one Rexon, but there's the wreckage of a couple of badniks anyway. The point being, he uses fire extinguishers to put out a Rexon's fire breath. So the yeah. idea is that, yeah, he knows how to handle individual badniks. He's spent so long fighting them. He now knows their individual weaknesses and what to expect from them. And he knows what zones... I mean, and I like that. Like, that's... Mm. Because yeah. it's, it's a facet of the games yeah. that you only find certain badniks in certain zones yeah. so the idea that they've taken that and turned that into a plot concept that's good that's the sort of stuff i like that's sort of using the game as a springboard that's good i like it it is and it fits in with the what the concept which i do quite like of this comic is of having these guys whose job it is to trudge around where sonic's just been and fix everything all the problems he's caused i quite like that and that seems to fit into that also i quite like for the second time this issue, a revival of the There Are Little Guys Trapped in the Badniks. Yeah, yeah a, there's just a little, a little bird yellow bird out. in there pops out the wreck zone. Free! Thanks, guys! He seems to have a little, uh, a little tuxedo on. Pops out in that way that things always pop out of Hadley Badniks where Sonic belts it in the neck and then it just sort of spontaneously explodes at different points across <laughs> its body, you know? The destruction of the Badnik seems to have no bearing on the way it was actually damaged. But, <laughs> but then, yeah, in fly... Camembert, Barf. In the Barfmobile! The Barfmobile. It is the Barfmobile, isn't it? Yes. It says it's the Barfmobile, yeah. I really love the bit where <laughs> Bert says, how are we going to tell our noble master? And out of nowhere, Robotnik 
body slams them from 60 feet, shouting, <laughs> No need, I'm already like, here! <laughs> we see the Egomatic appearing, coming in, cresting the horizon and flying over, but rather than land, <laughs> Robotnik just flings himself out of it. No parachute, it? nothing. Yeah. And then he, he does look like he's coming down to body slam them, but then in the next panel he's already standing on the ground in front of them. It's like that bit, you know, where Captain America jumps out of the air carrier and they go, has he got a parachute? <laughs> nah, he doesn't need one. Robotnik reckons he doesn't need one. And he, for some reason, doesn't. I'd love to know how the script phrased that scene, mm. because, again, it seems like the sort of wild, random action <laughs> that characters physically tend to undertake in Hadley stories. I'd love to know... How the, how the writer requested it. But something about the silly mood that either I was already in or that put me in kind of put me on this comic side. From from there on, I was reading it as this daft thing that was just, I don't know, having a laugh. And I quite I, I quite enjoyed this strip, I think. Yeah, it's not... I like I like that they're not afraid of Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> you yeah. Know, they say, how are we going to tell our noble master? Not because... And you might immediately run ahead to because he's going to take it out on us when we do. It's yeah. like, no, this is a terrible tragedy. How will we break the news? And he hops, he appears in front of them, and Bert is just smiling out his arse here. He is <laughs> the, beaming ear to ear. <laughs> so happy to see Dr. Robotnik, <laughs> even yeah. though it's bad news. And again, pretty good dialogue here. Bert says, makes me want to hammer. He always knows exactly how to destroy the badniks. And the blue adversary always knows which badniks he's going to find in each zone. Incredible! The very thoughts I was about to have! (laughs) Brilliant. That's great. Love it. I didn't notice that. Yeah. He heads off. Clean up this zone and report to me. I have a cunning plan. Yes, my lord. And then when he leaves, Cam and Bert talk amongst each other. How fortunate we are to serve such an immense leader. (laughs) Do you think he liked our new uniforms? Because they are wearing new uniforms as well. That's so not the only are. yes. Their actual physical features aren't the only thing that have been redesigned. They're now wearing a Cam wore a blue bodysuit before, but now now Bert is wearing like a maroon overalls on top of his blue bodysuit. They're a little bit more sort of um spacey looking than before, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. And then we establish something that's a running joke in this particular strip, which I'm not mm. sure about whether uh, I like or not. Mm, right, I d- <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> I they, sort of so they, do, they, and I yeah. sort of don't. Hours later, they finish their cleanup, and they take off, and we just see an exterior shot of the Barfmobile, as Cam says in Speech Bubbles, wafting out of the ship, Will you stop polishing your hammer, Bert? Sorry, Cam, it takes my mind off those blasted rebels. <laughs> and that does sound an awful lot like a euphemism. But it does. we do... It's already well established that Bert is all about hammers. He's, oh, he's all about hammers. He's but all I'm about hammers. Pretty sure it is a euphemism, especially since we go back to it again later on yeah. in the thing. I've got a bad feeling about this. Oh, polish me hammer, Cam. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think I like it. I think I like it. I think that's the answer. And our lack of familiarity with Sonic CD also helps us to sort of get past this. Yes. Because Jesus Christ. Hmm. Hadley did not have reference for these badniks, did he? No, but it doesn't feel as egregious as the previous problem. No, it is why. infinitely worse, though. <laughs> it only, they, the Motobugs and Buzzbubbers only feel egregious because they are the first badniks you ever yeah. see yeah. in the first Sonic game. Like yeah. They're literally probably the two most famous badniks yeah. in all of Sonic. And these are 
so well, Robotnik tells them his plan. They're going to swap these, swap transplant these badniks. And on the screen, we see four badniks, four of these advanced badniks that are on the um, on the Miracle Planet, yeah. and they're as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell, looking it up, investigating yep. it, seeing what badniks live in the Palm Tree Panic Zone. Yep. They are supposed to be the needle nose, which is the cute little mosquito badnik, which is the only one of the four that ever got an oh, English the, name. The one that's just like a, a cone with a spike yep, on just a cone with a nose and eyes. wings. Yep. Oh, God, wow. Yeah, that's okay, the that's, top left. That is not what I'm looking at there. Then an Anton, and then in the bottom left, a Tamabo and in the bottom right, a patabata, yeah, which is to say, uh, the but the, that's the ladybird and the butterfly are the last two. And beyond the fact that the butterfly is a butterfly and the right colours, <laughs> the I get the only reason that I'm even halfway sure that it's supposed to be the tamabo is because it's blue and red with yellow bits. <laughs> like they look one hundred percent absolutely nothing like any of like the badniks he had. No reference material here. Uh, he maybe I, had a fuzzy video of the zone. I just need to look up what a Tamabo is because I don't even know. How do I? No, find but these it? are because none of these got proper American names in the manual. They were just called uh-huh. the robot uh, butterfly and the robot mosquito and things like that. Needle noses appeared in the uh, in Chaotics, so they when they were called needle noses in Chaotics, but they were just robot mosquitoes and they were called muskies in Japan. Oh, is the is the wheel one meant to be the guy who's like got two wheels? Not not. No, it's called an Anton. An Anton. Uh, I'm gonna. Have That's to an Anton, is it? I just can't figure it out at all. I don't, the the the. No, top you, you right can't look at the ones. art and figure out where the missing. It's not like with the Buzz Bombers, where you could see how he was misinterpreting oh, the piece of. So uh, the top right one, which kind of looks like a standing up motobug. Yes. Is that meant to be the one that's like a mantis with a unicycle? Uh, it's an ant, but yes. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> These are the four badniks that wow. live in the Pad Tree Panic Zone, and they just about sort of map on to what the four things oh, that Hadley has drawn just. here. Wow, okay, yeah, that is really vague, wow. Huh. But fortunately, nobody's played Sonic CD. So <laughs> no, and then we get a shot of the badniks that they're going to replace, and they look fine. Yeah, he's drawn a motobug. Yeah, it's a real they're one, an actual honest to god motobug. Yeah, and they well, they call the chopper, aren't they? The choppers are the uh, uh, the fish yeah. from the Green Hill Zone. I'll allow that. I don't know. <laughs> chopper, crab meat, and motobug. And when they swap them over, the Green Hill Zone will become an impregnable fortress. Oh, that's a good one. Impregnable. Nice. And the next time Sonic arrives expecting Green Hill badniks, kablammy! He won't know what hit him. I think they're uh, overestimating how much of Sonic's success is based on knowing in advance which badniks. That's it. That's why we had to have the first page to set up the very idea. You just jump on them, mate. You don't need special (laughs) weapons. Yeah. But that's the conceit of the story. I'm willing to roll with it. It's sure. a, the the idea, taking the idea that only certain badniks live in certain zones and using that to build a story. Yeah, that's good. And also, it happens to work well because, like I've already mentioned, the fact that the the opening Sonic story and this one both have a little animal coming out of a badnik. They also both call back to the Miracle Planet. 
Cool. That's a nice little bit. That just stitches the start and the end together nicely. Though we do get, I'm sure, I feel like I mentioned this back when they introduced the Miracle Planet in the first place, which is that this strip follows the game's intention, which is that the Miracle Planet oh, only yes. appears once a year. Yeah, Whereas in STC, it only appears once a month. when it appears. God, you're right. Mm. I'm not going to hold that against no. Isles in any way, because that is That's technically the right be, yeah. thing. That's how it should be. Yeah. But STC uh, kitchen goofed on that. Well, I suppose, I guess, I guess that has, even that hasn't really been established yet, has it? Well, I don't know. That's the thing. It's always been very vague, and I've never really known. It's only, I mean, I mean, in, in real world terms, it's only been once a year so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the, for instance, it appeared once in Sonic CD. And, uh, oh no, wait, Sonic and Amy were stranded right. at the end of Sonic Terminator, so they must have said at the time it was only gonna, was only gonna right. last a month. They wouldn't have been stranded for a year. But yeah. it's cute, the fact that it's been a year yeah. since the Miracle Planet turned up, and now it's turned up again in two strips at the same time, even though the continuity doesn't, mm. like, line up as them. It's nice that, like, oh, the Miracle Planet has reappeared, so now we can do stories about it. Even yeah, that's nice. not at all so- what's happening. It's just nice. This is that a nice bit of real world like confluence. And so the the point of this story going forward is going to be that for whatever reason, Camembert and Robotnik between them can't just like command the robots to go to the Green Hill Zone. Camembert have to fight them. Yeah, they go and round them up. Yeah, um, and you would think that that's actually what the premise of. But I remember a little bit about what happens in this one. Oh. And honestly, this is a pretty bizarre little story that oh. kind of pulls a kid chameleon, as I recall. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a really strange little one, this one. And I don't remember exactly how it unfolds or what pace it is. I don't even remember if it, the last the last one was three parts long. I don't know if this is three or four parts. But um, this, uh, surprisingly, yeah, this is a... And in uh, a not unentertaining first part to something we didn't really enjoy the the first yeah. serial of, but I'm I just I don't know what we're gonna make of it whenever we have the full picture of it. We'll see, but I'm gonna yeah. be a little bit more on its side going forward. Give it more of a chance because yeah, you, you it's it has softened. Mm. You've softened towards a bit it more, a bit. bit more on its wavelength. I think yeah. We'll see if there are any more masturbation jokes. <laughs> now that I've softened a bit. Speed Post your mail or use the email service. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're in the future, aren't we? Ooh, see below for details. No emails yet, but sure, it's only been two weeks. Uh, they wouldn't have. Well, I mean, they could have, but they wouldn't have been ready for to print them yet. I really hope they will single out the email addresses yeah. or the email letters when they get on the board. Oh, I'm sure they will. They'll be over the moon. Christopher Bennett writes, The levels and the new characters in the chaotic scheme look great. I love the way Knuckles becomes attached to another partner. I only wish the game was available on Mega Drive. That, echoing the sentiments of all of us who never played Knuckles yes. Chaotix and contradicting the sentiments of all of, of us those who, who did. Have. <laughs> <laughs> if you get a move on, Chris, says Megadroid, you can still enter STC 58's Mega Drive 32X Chaotix combo. Also, check out next issue's pinup starring Chaotix character Espio the Chameleon. Will it be pulled from the pages of the comic, or will they draw it specially, or will it be a... I feel this is the beginning of a run of Chaotix-themed pinups um. that just use slightly fuzzy, blown-up <laughs> images of the of the model shots, yeah, of the characters. Fair enough. We haven't really had a good look at them yet, because they didn't use them in the review, so I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. be interested to see that. Uh, Joseph Rubel from Clevedon Avon says, Dear STC, I am in urgent need of a Sonic stationery set, because I've lost my diary, and I've all... Oof, who's got... Who's uncovered the secrets in that? That could be anywhere. <laughs> that's on. That's a, that, that's been sent to the uh, New Frontiersman. 
because I've lost my diary and have also broken the rings on my binder. Plus, given half a chance, I'd love to show off all the Sonic equipment to my friends at school. And Megadroid replies, I like a boomer who's straight down the line, Joe. I don't get it. No, is it just, is it that they're just admitting, listen, I haven't got a letter, but I want you to give me the free gift, please. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what he means, yeah. I don't know, I was getting caught up in images of fool's capped school paper. I've got it! I've got it, Chris, and I'll tell you what it is after we read the next letter. All right. Well, the next letter is from Catherine Lyons of Nailsea in Bristol, who says, After I bought Sonic Drift Racing on the Game Gear, nice to see these little games getting an acknowledgement mm, yes. on the pages of the comic, I noticed the title screen said Sonic Drift Racing 2. Right, yes, right, we pointed Catherine. this out when they reviewed it, didn't we? This leads me to believe that there was a Sonic Drift Racing 1. Is this so? Also, Knack the Weasel is called Fang. Can you explain why? Megadroid explains, according to Sega sources, I feel like they probably did go and ring someone up to get an answer to this yeah, one. Yeah, I think so. There was a Sonic Drift Racing one, but it was only released in Japan. Just to confuse everyone, Knack, or Fang, is the same character, but has taken on two identities. <laughs> I guess That's sweet. what happened... Uh, I've never thought about it very much, but I guess I've always wondered, how did uh -huh. Fang become his name? Or how did we learn that Fang was his name? But I guess that's it, because he was Knack the Weasel in Triple Trouble, or at least in the manual in Triple Trouble. But I guess they didn't do much editing of the text in Sonic Drift Racing 2. So Sonic the, Drift the Japanese code that used the name Fang on screen mm. was kept. I do wonder why they changed his name to Knack. I mean, Knack doesn't mean anything. Fang does, and it's in keeping with names like Knuckles and Tails. And he's got a fang. Because he's got a <laughs> fang, so... What's, what gives? Okay, this is really interesting, because since we recorded this, character the character designer of Knack, Shinichi Higashi, tweeted exactly what happened. What happened was, he was originally called Knack. In Japan, he was called Knack, but when he was designed and when they gave him that name, they didn't yet know in their office about Knuckles, which of course the first syllable of that in Japanese sound is basically the same as Knack. So they were like, oh, well, we can't call him Knack then. So he put a thing in a, in a, a popular magazine, he didn't say which one, saying like, all right, what should we call this guy? Because we haven't got a name for him. And the magazine's readers chose Fang. So they went with Fang and then expected, you know, when that was sent over to America, that he'd be Fang there. And then for whatever reason, they called him Knack. So there you go, that's the story. Well, now I say that's the story. Actually, the artist himself made it, he took great pains to make it clear on Twitter that this is only his personal opinion and he does not speak for Sega or Sonic Team and that Sonic Team are great and that they're doing great things. I don't know personally what it is that made him need to say that. So it's probably a cultural thing I don't understand, but there it is anyway. Yeah, but interesting, though. Although I wonder, did they change Eggman? They must have. Oh, I wonder. I bet they did. I bet they did, because the people doing it will have heard of Robotnik, but probably won't have heard of Fang. Hang on. I've got Sonic Drift 2 up on the Game Gear Long Play on the YouTube. Yeah, this must be the English-translated version of the game, because all the menus are in English. Sonic, Knuckles, Fang, M Sonic. Eggman! No, they didn't change it. Eggman! No, he's Eggman in there. Well... Oh, Didn't and yet change it. Catherine Lyons doesn't seem to have noticed that. Doesn't seem to be bothered about that. No, unless she did put it and they cut it out because they don't want to address that because it's too complicated, Robotnik and Eggman at this stage. Yeah. So here's what we were missing about that straight down the line comment from earlier. What it is is that we've not read out the banners over these. Uh. Chaotix Rules is the first one. 
Chaos Rules is the title for Catherine Lyons, and Ruler's Rule is the title for Joseph Rubles one because he's asking for a stationary set. He's straight down the line. He wants a ruler. See? Stationary set. Ruler. Straight down the line. That's what it is. Oh. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> Gripping stuff, innit? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Picture-wise, Eleanor Wood from Truro in Cornwall, a Game Gear Mega Drive mm. owner, has yeah. sent in Megadroid the Dolphin, which is... A classic bit of STC fan art. Yep, it's a dolphin, and it's got Megadroid's head instead of a face. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's the one thing with the head of one of the characters. The other thing. Again. You would think that they would usually take that an opportunity like that to say echo returns next issue which is obviously why oh, it's yeah. here but oh, they yeah. haven't they haven't bothered <laughs> no they haven't have they maybe because it's the thing immediately facing it on the other page yeah. and uh, and then there's a drawing from glenn smith of harlow essex who's drawn the chaotics and uh that's that, that's what he's done no more really to say it's the thing that's good about it is it's clearly the stc chaotics though oh because it's got knack in it he's there yeah. and yeah. knuckles is pink Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, Glenn, you know what's going on. Still, even even this late in 1995, and it's not copied from the comic either. No, this is all his own work. I mean, yeah, he's. You can feel the energy. You can feel that Richard Elson reference being used, yeah. particularly that head-on shot of Vector. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know how to approach drawing Vector from head yeah. on. You can see what's been no. referenced there, but it's not just been copied. Yeah, a lot of work has been put in uh, by Glenn to get that right, and also the knack, which doesn't seem to have any reference. He's worked to figure out how, how that, that would look head on. Yeah, yeah, and I mean to an extent, Knuckles as well. So, yeah, he's worked really hard there, Glenn. Good stuff. We've got a letter in our mailbag from an artist. Ooh. If we allow the word artist to just mean someone from America rather than oh, someone okay. who loves art. That's not really the same thing, but it sort of is. <laughs> yeah, from Ethan Quist of Minnesota, US. Played a Sonic game once. Um, <laughs> gratifying to know that we've got people on our side out there. Dear STCTP, long-time listener, first-time writer, I'm not the biggest Sonic fan and didn't know much about it, but I still really enjoy this podcast. Oh, good, I like to hear that's that. Oh, I like that. Yes. I discovered it through Mr. McFeely's YouTube outings. Something to do with large converting robots, I suppose. And speaking of those large converting robots, there has been a lot of news about crossovers lately, and it got me thinking, if you could pick any entertainment icon or franchise to cross over with Sonic, what would it be? Ooh, goodness me. I mean, the easy answer for me is always Transformers in it. Transformers has a blue super speed running guy in it. That's your crossover hook, really. Both under the control of IDW at the moment, so that could be that's, done. Yeah, it's not... Like, I don't tend to spend a lot of time thinking about what would be good <laughs> crossovers because there have been so few in this earth. Um, mm. But the fact that both Sonic and Transformers are owned by IDW and IDW are having a whale of a time producing Transformers My Little Pony, Transformers Back to the Future, Transformers Terminator yeah. crossovers this last little while, that I have to assume the only barrier to it actually happening is that uh, Sonic, the Sega people, don't want it. <laughs> and I will say, and I've made this comparison before, I'm going to go the world of Beatrix Potter. Imagine that, right? Imagine if all the sweet little tales of Beatrix Potter are going on, and then suddenly they get dragged into robots. <laughs> they have to be saved. That's weird, dude. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Mine made sense. Yours is weird. <laughs> 
Thanks for the letter, Ethan. I don't think that was a very satisfactory answer. <laughs> We've got another one from Michael, Mega Drive owner, not Sonic Station Rewind, who says, Hi, Dave and Chris. I've been following the podcast since early on. I was introduced it. Oh, I was introduced to it by the dearly missed Seb, who was an old friend from school. Oh, brilliant. It's been such a nice thing to have over the pandemic. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's really it's been, awesome uh, good for us. Uh, <laughs> as much as we're glad to hear that we've been able to provide entertainment for the listeners over the pandemic, it's been a really good thing for us to have over the pandemic to do as well. <laughs> it's been a great part of my Sunday morning walks in the park that have become a habit. It's such a nice feeling to discover other people had similar experiences to me as a child, and every edition unlocks a whole bunch of old memories. Yeah, right? The fact that it's one of those podcasts you can go back to and listen from the start without it feeling out of place or divorced from context is a big plus as well. I had a bit of an off and on relationship with this comic since I wasn't always able to get it every fortnight as my mum worked shifts mm. so it was never certain when we'd get to go to the newsagents. I was able to fill in the gaps through the scans years later of course. My first issue was number three on my summer holidays mm. and my last 98. Yes I know. Ooh. Oh, oh, no. oh stop in there. Oh, Gosh. Gutted. But this era, issues from the late 50s to early 80s, I was getting almost every issue, so the stories really stick out in my memory. Very much looking forward to you tackling the Brotherhood of Metallic storyline. It begins well, now. That's what we're doing. And then the big converging stories that lead to 100. Mm. I think this comic may have been my first exposure to proper long-form plot arcs, and I'd be interested to hear your take on how it all comes together at that point. Keep up the good work. I'll follow to the end. All the best, Michael. MD owner, not Sonic Stationery winner. Thanks very much, Michael. I have realized, you know, I always talk about how Sonic and Knuckles, and then, you know, the Brotherhood stuff, the stuff we're in right now, is the golden age. It's the bit everybody remembers. It's that same processing problem I have understanding there are Sonic fans who came in with adventure and heroes and the stuff after that, you know. (laughs) Unless I stop and think about it, I don't realize that obviously there are people who came in after that and who remember all the other stuff that came later with the Dracons and and the Eternity Ring and that as being their time on the comic. And it's weird to me to think that people read the comic and didn't read all the comic, you know, when of course that was perfectly normal and happened all the time (laughs) yeah and that they were who the reprints for so they actually got to read all the the best stuff anyway Mm. i don't know if i had a point there (laughs) (laughs) so while we're moving out of the stuff that i remember as all the biggest most exciting stuff it's still nice to know that there are listeners out there for whom the most exciting stuff is yet to come you know yeah well that's going to bring us to the end of another issue next issue new story Echo returns. Oh. How how long has it been since Echo? Ages. Echo was issue thirteen. Echo started in, so it's been it's been it's that number again. It's been forty odd issues since Echo came oh, back. Wow! That, and someone opened a portal to forty issues ago. <laughs> yeah, we're getting the tail stuff tied off. Mm. We're getting the Miracle Planet comeback. We're getting Echo back. Echo returns, plus a free gift of a Champions trading card. See, they just said no, Champions just again. Champions. Eternal, so it must be something else. We will dig into it, folks, see if we can tell you what it is next time. If you can say one thing about Echo, it's that he always bounces back. I don't get it. Because he's an Echo. They bounce back. Fuck off! Sonic, the Brotherhood of Metallics. Sonic's World, the Seven Badniks. Knuckles and Tails, the Revenge of Trog. I'm, I feel almost certain that that's just directly reprinted from last issue because they're just screaming the titles oh, yeah. of the stories at us. They're not telling us what to look forward to. 
No, yeah. none of the events. Just yelling the titles. But this is new. Chaotic's pin-up. SPO the Chameleon. STC 60. Making waves. On sale Saturday, the 2nd of September. For £1.20. Ooh, that closes the book on a, a really good issue, isn't it? That was a Ooh. grand old issue. Ooh, there's a Dead lot of good. hot stuff happening now. Ooh. And transfers as well. I was having a lovely time with this one. Ooh, and it's yeah. the summer of 1995. What a great time to be alive. School's looming, though. Getting towards the end of it. Next oh, issue, yeah. 2nd of September. Back at school by mm-hmm. that point. Ooh. Yeah, but at least that's tampered by the fact. Do I mean tampered, tempered tempered. by the fact that you've been able to go and do your back-to-school stationery shop? And that's always nice. was never a highlight, I'll be honest with you. I'll still nip <laughs> into Smith's during back-to-school time these days, you know. We did it the last year we were physically allowed to do it. And there was nothing. There was not even, not an interesting pencil case in the house. <laughs> no yikes pencils to be found. No! Why, what, no! Why was it, why was it that when we were this age, we were allowed good stuff? And not anymore. <laughs> why is it that Current everything kids not from good stuff? our childhood was good, and now all these kids want to do <laughs> is play the Fortnite and watch Rick and or Morty? What's up with it, you know? Listen, the pencils are boring and they are allowed interesting pencils in my opinion, but apparently not. There are probably Fortnite pencils. Yeah, probably. I won't begrudge them that. You know, I liked me a Turtles pencil or a Sonic pencil. No, I don't begrudge them at all, but sometimes it does catch me off guard. You know, I went to see uh, Avengers Endgame when it came out. And uh, you remember there's a scene in that where Thor plays Fortnite. I didn't even register that, no. No, I didn't know it was Fortnite. I mean, I did know it was Fortnite because the child in the seat in front of me lost their <laughs> sh** about the oh. fact that Thor was playing Fortnite. And I was oh, like, you know, if this was 25 years ago and Thor was playing Sonic 3, I'd have been the same. So uh, no yeah. judgment over here at all. Yeah. But if you're looking for future judgments on issues of Sonic the Comic, <laughs> you'll find those <laughs> everywhere that good podcasts are available, or you can download new episodes direct from our website at stctp.wigglehe.com. Or you can follow the links from our Twitter, which is at Sonic Podcast, but we've got our own. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. I am at Chris McFeely, and you'll find us both on YouTube under those names as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, we could do with your support, so pop along to stctp.patreon.com, where we will give you things we make videos every month two videos a month you're going to get to see us having a look at and talking about a chunk of martin adams the sonic novels that came out around the same time as stc started and also by the time you hear this our other video in which dave reads (laughs) me his torturous fan fiction from the era has taken a very strange turn and I am now at a point where I'm morbidly curious to see where this mask goes. Yes, same. And where the proceeds go is our editor Sam Gabriel. (laughs) (laughs) Who you can find at samgabrielvo.com. Our theme tune was synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band. You can find their work at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic The Podcast. We'll see you next next time. time.